Welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today we're going to explore AFEX, the African Commodities Exchange. We'll discuss the story across the following area. First, African agricultural context. Second, AFEX's launch and early history. Third, its product and monetization strategy. Fourth, its competitive position and potential exit. And fifth, we'll end with our views on its overall outlook. This episode was recorded on December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2023. Whew, Christmas Eve. You ready? Happy holidays to everybody who celebrates. And if you listen to this after the holidays, happy holidays to you too. Don't be a Grinch. Uh, it's fun. <laughs> happy Festivus. Happy. Someone sent me a message saying happy Festivus. I was like, that's a Seinfeld joke. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Wow. That's um, what we normally do when we start. Apex. Afri- Africa Exchange Holdings, Africa Apex Commodity Exchange. We're kind of using those terms interchangeably. First of all, what is what is Apex? So according to the CEO, Apex is really <laughs> three businesses. I don't know why that's, that's funny, Olumide, but... But, but, you know, you. but you know what, we, what we're getting? Responsibility what we're, what we're getting? What we're getting actually is that haters is you can get some haterade, but it's okay. Well, for I, me, I can nah. guess your biases already. According to the CEO, uh, okay. FX is three businesses: FX Fair Trade Limited, FX Investment Limited, FX Commodities Exchange. Mm. In short, what they do it is they collect. The, what they do is that they have an exchange where people can buy and sell commodities that they host an exchange. They also provide financing to the farmers and they also buy and aggregate supply from the farmers to sell on to other markets as well. It's all things around that, including hosting and operating a commodity exchange for different parties. Very good. I have a bunch of definitions. In corporate speak, straight from the website, Apex champions efficient trade Don't and wealth creation through the Africa. <laughs> no, honestly, it's too funny. I have to. I have to. Do you know, so I, do you that? Like, okay. I was it number one of these. You know, we've done a lot of these POS companies, <laughs> and all of them are like, right. we are the backbone of the African consumer. But like, yo, dude, no, are you doing not. payments? Are you doing Stop. lending? I'm trying to figure it out what my, are you doing. Do, like, it's marketing. Okay, okay, I'll I'll go quickly. But I love it. It's too funny. Apex champions efficient trade and wealth creation through the African commodities market. We address food system challenges and generate impact through flows to the bottom of the pyramid. Wow. Okay. More corporate speak, also from the website. Apex harnesses Africa's commodities and talent to build shared wealth and prosperity. Wow. Okay. I don't know what any of that means, but I'll just do simple English, my own definition, which makes more sense, but I'm not part of the marketing team, so don't hate. Platform that enables efficient trade of commodities in Africa. And they do two things. They provide access to training, credits, storage, logistics, and markets to farmers. And they also provide trading investment solutions to financial partners, buyers, traders, and consumer investors. Two major stakeholders, more than two, but two groups of stakeholders. So for the farmers, training, credit, storage, all that stuff. And then for the financial partners, aka buyers, aka traders, aka aggregators, trading investment solutions. That's the way I think about them. They're very important because agriculture is important. If you listen to our episode 26, they're a bunch of people working in agriculture. It's a big part of the GDP. And farmers, unfortunately, tend to be a little bit on the... Uh, lower income side of the sales scale, they're poor. Yeah. And there's a lot of them, 30 to 50 million farmers, depending on which data point you look at. And they're undereducated is, and low income. This is important. Apex is important because you're helping that value chain. Two things. That's, those, are, those numbers just struck a resume. Memory. Those are similar estimates for the number of SMEs in Nigeria. Make of that, <laughs> <For real? laughs> make of that, make of that what you will, you know, without comment, presented without comment. Second thing wow. is the reason we're talking about Apex today is they've raised a bunch of money, they upwards have. of 30, 40, 50 million. They don't really really state the number, but you do some math, you get, to some, you get to some really high numbers. They are also, if you also believe the numbers, one of the most capital efficient companies, <laughs> venture-backed companies, just in general, they are 
number three in the Financial Times Africa 2022 fastest growing companies list. Right. And they are number one in the 2023 Financial Times Africa fastest growing company list. Ahead of companies like Wasoko, yeah, a lot of other companies. Why, why don't you want to believe it? Are you a hater or like what's going on? I, I just don't want to believe. Oh, did you see Wasoko is going to be merging with some company? They announced a few hours ago. I saw that. That's heavy. We need we to don't. stay on topic, but yeah. oh my God. Okay, let's just stay on topic because that's a big segue. Okay, anything else in the intro before we do biases and PSAs? Yeah, I was going to say it's important to note that they do commodities trading. They help farmers. They buy and sell aggregate supply and export it. They also have gotten gotten some positive press on from the Financial Times. And that's kind of like a credible brand to do ranking. You make of that what you will. But they've been Supposedly. top five. Like the companies in 2022 and 2023 are not the same. But this is one of those that, that went up the chart as well. So I like it. Okay. See, so, listeners, founders, operators, investors, lots of link up to email us info at infoadafrobilly.com. Join our Substack. Go to afrobilly.com or just click on the uh, uh, subscribe button there or afrobilly.substack.com. With that, biases. I already know what your biases. I can already tell. Yeah. I'm biased positive on the company in general. And mm-hmm. I'll just tell you the source of those biases is one is agriculture. Okay. So I, it's almost like Important. a man in the arena bias. It's like, oh man, that's what you want to go after is different. Again, nobody's asking me to be an investor. They're asking me to be a different, <laughs> different conversation, right? And yeah. that's not, hopefully that's not advice anybody. Hopefully that's not the vibe I give off 73 episodes in because I want to be very clear. <laughs> I go for a completely different podcast vibe. podcast hour, just <laughs> yeah. to be clear. Uh, for a podcast, two hours, you mean. But I'm generally positive people business is agriculture. As I went through the mm-hmm. research, some of the things that they're doing, like the numbers and the way it works, like it kind of I have more questions. But again, if I were talking from an investor's perspective, I would definitely need a lot more data. Obviously, some investors have had all that data and made a choice to invest. We can borrow conviction from DFID and Consonus. Before I did any research, I didn't know that much about them. I was basically neutrals, no bias. After I've done a lot of research now, I like the company. Basically, companies that are deep in the operational depth of agriculture or health or education, I almost always like them because those sectors are, number one, important, number two, hard to get funding for and hard to scale because they're not really technical businesses. They're more operational. Now, anyone can say anything is a tech business, but those types of sectors tend to be harder because of the nitty gritty, like operational nature of them. So I just like companies like that. And specifically this company, even though they do a lot of things, the core of their business is is farmer empowerments which I like to root for the underdog. So I like them overall after the research, but let's go through the episode and let's see what my real bias is. That's my stated yeah. bias. We'll see my implicit yeah. bias as I speak. No, I already could tell from the laughter at the beginning. So it's fine. Um, <laughs> the CEO said, that was, I'm laughing at you. You're uh, absolving all responsibility saying the CEO said what? What's your definition of the company? What do you do? Uh, what the CEO? So what if the CEO is not telling Bro, that will love me, Bro, I prefer Bruce. Bro, that will love me. They don't involve me what I don't know. Um... <laughs> Okay, on topic. What I want to talk what I want to ask actually, one question, just park it. We'll talk about it later in the podcast is as we go through this is is I want you to give me your opinion, not now, on vent on agriculture being like venture backable. Because it's one of those things where you think of the, the timelines of venture. Like venture is not patient capital. No matter what any African VC tells you, venture is not patient capital. <laughs> like venture is not it's not patient capital, it's quick turnaround, it's it's shoot for the fences. That's venture capital. There's investing. There's there's all kinds of investing that doesn't doesn't have that profile. But it's as we, as we go through these kind of things is I just keep coming back to the question of maybe we talk at the end is like on agriculture broadly being venture backable because of it being operationally intensive and just difficult to, to yeah. do it at a way that you get scale from technology. 
I don't know if that's the case, right. but hopefully we develop an opinion at the end of this podcast. It's a good question. And we spoke about it on Apollo Agriculture, I think, where it's just the harvest cycle is just long. Like there's only so much you could do to help the farmer. The farmer has to wait through X months for the stuff, for the crops to come out. So yes, I won't answer now. We'll, yeah. we'll see how the answer evolves as we go through the conversation flow. We'll put a, a, a pin in it, I think is the phrase. We're going to kick off with context of agriculture in Africa. Luckily for us, we spoke about it on our episode 26. So you can listen back to afrobilly.com slash agritech or just search episode 26 in your podcast player. Here's a clip of what we said the last time from episode 26. Banky, you're going to kick us off with uh, Africa and African context of yeah. agritech, right? Yeah. The right place to start is how like central agriculture is to all yes. of Africa. I'm going to run through like some some very quick pieces of data. Africa's Let's population is expected to double or to get to 2 billion by 2050. Oh, it's wow. a very young population. We need food, right? For like, sure. that, that's probably the right way to think about it. We need a lot of food. But, I, I guess everyone needs food. Yeah, but if you're younger, <laughs> you need more food. Okay. Af- Africa has 60% of the world's uncultivated land. So that's mm. like, it's pretty big. However, you can see like food inflation go, especially in Nigeria, which I'm most familiar with, yes. shoot up drastically and it gets much more and more it's getting harder and harder to even feed the people in Africa. I think that's something I yes. not even talked about quite I a bit. S- I saw a stat related to that, and it said 40 to 50% of the disposable income is going to food in a lot of African countries. And this is where America was in the 1850s. I was like, wow, almost half of disposable income just on food. And if you think about what this means for other startups or other tech, how are you going mm-hmm. to get share of somebody's wallet if half of that is on food? Then the yes. rest is housing, the shelter, housing, healthcare. Then how right. do you get them to spend money on your app, on your gaming app, or exactly. on, their child's, on their child's education? And then you get really like, so agriculture tends to be like the primary resource because of the amount of people in smallholder farmers, amount right. of smallholder farmers. Right. Another stat, that was the individual level for the disposable income. On a macro level, it's between 30 and 45% of the GDP for most countries. Again, massive. Like there's no there's no way to think about it that's not massive. Like you said, it's like 50 to 70% of employment, depending on which country and which data source you use. And that compares to UK's 8%, America's 10%. A lot of people working there. It's a big chunk of the GDP. It's a big chunk of disposable income. Big, yeah. big, big, no matter no matter how you think about it. Yeah. And, and if you get, okay, what does farming in Africa look? Like. So farming is huge. <laughs> then what does what does a farmer, an African farmer, look like? Also, right. like a, a caveat before we even get started is we'll spend a lot more time on crops here rather than livestock, to be honest. But livestock farming also has its own unique mm. unique issues. But we'll we'll touch on those. But a lot of our concern will be crop sort of crop focus. Mm. So mm. Africa farming is typically small scale, typically done by smallholder farms and smallholder farmers on small farms. Right. Smallholder farms tend to mean like you're farming to eat. And maybe right. sell. But the primary thing is you're farming to feed. You're subsistence farming. It's right. It's insane. Um, it's the difference between if you and I open like a, a burger joint versus McDonald's. Like, yes, we'll make some money, but you know, it's just enough to, to get by. And I'm not going to open a burger joint I just think for the record. This is called, a really bad this example. Is, this is called that a lifestyle business. If <laughs> if your lifestyle was about staying alive. <laughs> oh my god it's what smallholder okay. farm in africa but it's it's really small right 80 really percent of the farmland yeah. in africa is managed by smallholders nigeria mm. has less than 100 farms more than 50 hectares which is about 70 like football pitches like soccer pitches wow. just for context like less 100. than 100 farms 100 right so it's pretty small like the average farm size in nigeria between one to two hectares in the u.s mm. 180 latin america 120 Oh, um, so Africa is greater like than 100x. Hectares. Yeah, 
average farm size. It's it's it's, okay. it's very small holder. It's right. It's Olumide farming three plots, four plots of land. Um, <laughs> well, the fact you're using me as an example. I will, yeah. Okay. Anyway, let, let's keep going. Yeah. And and what that means is we don't get a lot of inputs. We don't have a lot of market access. Fertilizer usage Correct. is low. Productivity right. is low. Like it takes the Africans. I saw a stat like four x more land to produce the same quantity of maize compared to the Oof. West. Four x. Yeah. That's... We have Sudan, Kenya, it's... Tanzania, Ethiopia among the fifteen nations with the largest cow populations, but only four percent of milk production. It's just cow population. Yeah. Wow. But it's okay. just like we, it, it, we don't produce enough isn't milk. This giving you, isn't this giving you deja vu? I feel like you and I spoke about this on the health tech episode and the ed tech episode. Basically, there are a lot of problems everywhere. You know what? Very similar to the ed tech and health tech episodes. However, you find mm-hmm. that all these dysfunctional industries are dysfunctional in their own unique way. Right. Like all the happy families, like they're all uniquely like special. <laughs> right. Um, right. Right. And, and ag tech, as we will see, agriculture and ag tech has its own unique flavor of, of, of issues as well. Right. And also, like, when we say issues slash problems, really, the other side of the coin is also just opportunity. Like, yeah. yes, there are problems, but the fact that problems means entrepreneurs or businesses can help solve them and make some money. Yeah. I think here are the five categories of challenges in African agriculture. Some of them Bankler has already spoken about, but I'll repeat it to just summarize. The first one is knowledge and skills. Basically, low levels of literacy slash education slash training of the farmers, yeah. which basically means they don't have the right knowledge about how to increase productivity. That's the first one. Second one is equipment and tool access. They have lack of access to tools, machinery, infrastructure, and that's because of either their knowledge or their income or other limiting factors just like availability. Those two, they're sort of intertwined. Third one is capital access. So similarly, like they have a low likelihood of, of obtaining financing or credits, which means they can't expand, which means they can't buy the equipment I spoke about before. They also can't buy fertilizer and hybrid seeds and so on and so forth. So those three, they're sort of similar, but they're a little bit separate. The fourth one is market access. Even if you had the first three, you need a, a large enough market to be able to sell your product at a margin that makes sense based on all the inputs and sweat you put in. And then the last one is limited scale and leverage, which is exactly just what you said. They're mostly independent. Yeah. They're small, which means they don't get any benefits of scale. They don't get benefits of negotiating leverage. There are five issues, but there are basically a lot of overlap in the way we describe those five issues. Yeah. I, I, I also think that with, with Africa, as always, there's no African market. There's no, there's, you know, people think of an European market because they have common. Oh, right, right. There's exactly. no African market. Exactly. That'd be exactly. kept about averages. A lot of the land is in a few countries. Some countries right. are better than others at stimulating agriculture. Ethiopia is much better, for example. But if you think about it across the board, it's just very different. And there are all oh, kinds of, sure. a couple of unique things that, to Africa that don't even quite come out. One is like land use laws and culture. So for example, there's a land is a, is an emotional attachment to land in many emerging markets in Africa, many parts of the world, to be honest. But except that how it tends to happen is if your father has a piece of land, right. you know, he has six children. The six children mm-hmm. get one sixth, and they have six children, <laughs> and they get one sixth. And it sounds far fetched, but it's but it's really not. Funny. Let's give a personal story. My 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 grandparents or my great grandparents were free slaves from Brazil, settled in Lagos Island, and oh, built built a I house. Never knew this. Yeah, dude, this is you you're just you're just dropping you knowledge you on the podcast. Know my life. Built a house okay. in Lagos Island, and then my granddad has the some of the house, and he has seven kids, and they have some of the rooms. Oh and goodness. now this generation has a share of a room. I have a share of a share of a one of Toilets, a room basically. In, in, in Lagos Island, but but it's it's non-negotiable. There's no like what tends so, to happen is you have to come together and sell it. But imagine that that's that the house in Lagos Island. Imagine that for like so awesome. imagine that for like land where somebody moves to an area, gets like fifteen plots, has fifteen awesome. children, and it's one plot each. 
Awesome. And then it just, that's one, that's one sort of part of culture piece, right? You, you know what's a, a strange analogy? I don't know if this analogy makes sense, but I think about it as like a founder in their cap table. Like at some point, your founder, Bankley and I start a, a, a company. There's both of us on the yeah, cap table. 50% each. <laughs> 50% each. <laughs> and then we're Sequoia. like, okay, we're about, we're about to go out of business. Let's raise some money. And then, okay, we're like, well, no VC is ready to fund us. Let's raise it from our family and friends. That's like 16 of Bankley's friends from Casey, 10 of my friends, yeah. 30 people. Before we have a hundred names on the cap table, but yeah. that's like that's even that's easier because you can roll them up. This sounds like oh my goodness! Except it I can gets imagine harder. how it could be difficult. It yeah. only gets harder over time. Like the, the entropy, scientific terms, and our engineers out there, entropy is more likely to increase um, yeah. as a natural state than decrease. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's one kind of challenge. Like cultural. The other kind of challenge is like climate change. So like because mm-hmm. of farmer information, for example, and climate change is happening in that like it's raining mm-hmm. for longer, raining for shorter, droughts are of course. more and more droughts in parts of Africa. And because a lot of farming is, again, generational, because my father gave me this land and his father found this <laughs> land. But climate is <laughs> changing. Profound. Patterns are changing. Right. People right. can't farm the same way as they farmed 100 years ago. And right. how are they going to know that? All right. right. There's no way for That's why that first that. thing is yeah. knowledge and skills. Yeah. Even if you, you did exactly what your grandparents did and they told you it'd be effective, it may be less effective, not because they were wrong, just because the times are changed. Also, yeah. they didn't even have access to the same fertilizer tool equipment. Whatever they told you, it, it may actually not even work as well as yeah. a combination of multiple factors. But because it's all, all smallholder and you can't get the data, you can't get right. financing and like just, yeah. just like it's... So that's agriculture as a whole. So, the, so what mm-hmm. this whole takeaway is that for the individual smallholder farmer, there are many different kinds of right. problems: getting the information, getting the inputs, getting the seeds, mm-hmm. doing the actual farming itself, irrigation, right. storage, warehousing, then selling right. the stuff, like getting into markets, exporting the right. stuff. A lot of different right. challenges there for agriculture in general in Africa. For ag tech and specifically in Africa, one of the challenges here is that like the farmers won't generally use it. So that's something to so. They, they, they won't use it or they, they will, will use they it? They will not use it. Like, they will not use technology. There's, there's, a, co- there's a customer acquisition problem here. Like, no, Very few of them have been able to get to scale. But we should clarify, what do you mean? Do you mean they don't have enough access or they will not want to use it even if they have access? I think we'll get to the why a bit later when we talk about the different okay. startups, right? Okay. But, okay. Because the why depends on the, on the specific use case. But for, exactly, all these problems, exactly. for all these problems, right? it's interesting to, to note that not many ag tech startups have gotten to the same kind of scale as, say, payment startups. Of course, for obvious standard, reasons. standard, standard, standard. Um, of course, of course, that was of super course. Interesting as well. Moving on. So coming back from that clip, I think the summary is: agriculture in Africa is not in a good place. It's quite tough. There are a lot of challenges. Again, the key challenges are knowledge and skills. A lot of the farmers are subscale, poor, undereducated. They don't have access to the right inputs. Equipments and tools are basic capital access. It's hard for them to grow because they don't have a lot, a lot of money. Uh, market access. It's hard for them to sell products. It's an open market because they sell such small scale and they don't have enough information to know how they should price it. And they have a limited scale and leverage. If you're only selling a small amount of things, obviously you don't have any pricing power. That's a summary. In a way, it sounds similar to some of the issues we said in education and health. It's just this may even be bigger because Depending on the stats you look at, agriculture employs 50, 60, 70% of Africans. Compared to the UK, it's 2 to 8%. In America, it's 2 to 10%. So in yeah. America, 2 to 10% of people are farmers and they feed the whole country. In Africa, it's 50, 70% and they can't feed the whole continent. Yeah. It's a bit un- unfortunate, but okay. What is also interesting about that stat is if you look at the US in the 1900s, it was the reverse. 
<laughs> that's one of the strange things. Like at the turn of the century, hundred years behind. At the turn, at the turn of the century, they behind. had a lot of people working in agriculture, but then mechanization, and it yes. just didn't make sense. And urbanization, yes. and people moved to the cities. And it's also funny, but agriculture has remained a kind of, from U.S. politics, like the farm bill and the mainstay of a big political class. Even despite the fact that it employs so few people, they just become so big as a, it's sort of ingrained in American psyche. And you almost think that it would be true for any pre for any any society that was previously agrarian. It's almost like farmers will always mm. be important whether or not they are farmers or not. It's kind of yes. how you have to think about the evolution yes. of Nigeria as well. Because on, on one hand, food security is a thing, which is like, do you have enough food to can you create enough food within your national borders to feed your own people? On the other hand, the governments are subsidizing a lot of farmers. So it's sort of like they're important because they help you survive and you're giving them money. They have to be yeah. important forever because like, you need them to live and they're taking money out of the taxes. TBD, we'll leave all the political stuff for people that care about that. Okay, so that is the summary of African agriculture context. Bangla, do you want to give any more information on broad agri stuff before we jump into it? No, no, nothing at all. That's it. All, all in okay, the okay, okay, okay. N- normally, this is the part where I'll be like, let's say the context, the story starts, here's what's going on in tech, but it's the end of the year. So I'm going to skip all of that. And I'll just say, I, our story... <laughs> Our story begins somewhere between 2012 and 2014. Like Bankalu took us to the founding story, but some sources say 2014, some sources say 2013. I think the story starts around 2012, 2013. Um, but Bankalu, I guess you can take us through the yeah. founding and early story of, of Apex. Yeah, the story of Apex is similar to the story of InterSwitch or any of the companies that have yes. corporate origins. Yes. But also yes. the story of one person who was part of the founding team. Technically, the founder, I, I've, I see in places where I'm not calling himself the founder, but the CEO. Right. I don't see many places where I'm not the founder, but he's been, he's been there from the jump. Ayodeji Balogun, I think I have that right. Yes. Yes. Right? He, yeah. he was definitely a founding executive. Yes. But sometimes he phrases it as there were like founding investors who were there before him and spun it off as a project. So we use different definitions, but he was one of the earliest executives running it. So maybe we'll yeah. give him that title for the purposes of the yeah. podcast. By the way, Bankoli, actually one, one last segue, not the last, but hopefully the last. Technically, one of the founders is Tony Elumelu, which is like, yo, that's like a whole rabbit hole. Hopefully in a future episode, we'll have a, an Afrobilly episode where we talk about him. But for the audience- We should actually do that. Very, I would love to do that, actually. A Tony Elumelu yes, episode. But he, but he has- he doesn't have operational tech companies. My mentor. and investments. My, he's rich. <laughs> My I hero. I don't know what you save know. Me, save, save me from corporate My America. My helper. Yo. <laughs> anyway, so we're not going to talk about... You don't even know if somebody that knows him is... Better shut the hell up. Okay, so anyway, we're not going to talk about Tony Lumilu, but just FYI. It's a fascinating story. He's one of the founding investors that was behind the scenes, but he's not... I was one of the... Operational executive. So okay. we're not going to talk about it, but hopefully in the future. While we're here, man, as well stick to this Tony Lumilu stuff. So <laughs> I remember being in uni. Oh, and I remember being in uni. And my hero, my hero, Tony Lumilu saved me. I remember being in uni and how he went. He studied economics in undergrad and he got a third class. Yeah. And he was, he was oh always my God. the CEO That's of this big bank. Back, my man. He was also oh, CEO, wow. he was, he was CEO of this big bank. He was CEO of Standard Bank that bought a bank that was multiple times their size. And I was like, well... If right. at least get a third class, it's not the end of the world because <laughs> Tony Lumelu got a third class. If you could do it, I could do it too. If you could do it, I was like, hey, if it's, if it's good enough for Tony Lumelu, I don't know what I'm really striving for <laughs> academically. Look at the man, mom. Look at the man. Yo, third class so in economics. Third class. Look at him. Look at him buying <laughs> banks and shit. What the hell? 
That's funny. They, That's like funny. Mi has a song about him, like soft like Tony, <laughs> soft life Tony. <laughs> Oh, yo, that song is dope. It's, it's about Tony Lemelu. Yeah, yo, that it's nice. Soft life. Basically, the song is like, oh. I, I'm really apologize to the people who listen to this and looking for a convention about effects. Anyways, yo, <sighs> happy holidays, y'all. Okay, okay, okay. Back to effects. We love Tony Lemelu. Yes. We love anybody with money. Yes. To be honest, that's kind of yes. where we are. <laughs> are you honestly? One of our favorite episodes is Glow Man. We had a whole segue about the Google founder, but okay, let's stay on topic. We're talking about Digibalo. Mike Adenuga gives know. people money who uh, praise oh, we're him. We're just going to say the name now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 CEO. CEO. Okay, okay, Digibalo. The CEO. Oh. Ah, ah. So he says, he says, he comes from a family of entrepreneurs and he says he's been working full time for a long time, a family commodity business, went to school, did his MBA. Joined Hairs Holdings, which after Tony Lumelu left UBA in 2009, 2010, he started off like a holding company to manage a number of his investments. He joins Hairs Holdings on the investment team, on the impact investing team in 2011. Right. Okay, so, so this is some sources say he joined Tony Lumelu's foundation. But a foundation is different than the holding. Somehow there's some interlinkages. It should be separate. They are in the same the office. Foundation <laughs> yeah, in the same building. He says he joined the investment team of the holding arm, of the holding, investment holdings, but they're, they're literally in the same. At least when I was in Lagos, they were literally in the same building. Okay, okay. So, but, but for the audience from other countries, technically, a foundation and a holding company of corporate activity should be very separate. But in this case, it doesn't matter. Just think about, he joined either Tony Lumelu Foundation or here. So it doesn't matter. He worked, he joined a company that Tony Lumelu was running on the back. That's all that matters. Yeah, right? exactly. Working in an investment team, his, his job was to evaluate opportunities, make decisions on investments. It was exciting. Yes. And then to... Li- oh, oh, yeah. So, so, sorry to interrupt so early. Yeah. You should know that he was specifically on the impact investing team. This yeah. is going to come up later. It, it wasn't an investing team that only looked at numbers and ROI. It looked at the social aspect of it. Yeah. Hint, hint, hint. We'll come back to that later. Yeah, I can't help but be snarky. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, a, it's important to emphasize. It's important to... The so, go ahead, go ahead. So, so he was doing a lot of programs on impact investing. He had the, the, the funding entrepreneurs. He had a bunch of scholarships. He was doing a lot of public giving back and public good type stuff, including this. Right. The way it is, there are three founding investors for... So at the time, Tony Miller has holdings. They had an idea mm-hmm. to start a commodity exchange in East Africa, right? So that was right. the idea. People at Tony Miller Foundation... There was somebody, another, maybe some one sentence on Tony Melu for a second. Tony Melu was a former Nigerian bank MD. He started off, he started a smaller bank, Standard Bank, eventually bought up a bigger bank, UBA. And then mm-hmm. there were some mm-hmm. regulatory changes that determined that he had to step down from running the bank because of his tenure mm-hmm. tenure. He left the bank and set up a foundation, a holding company for his investments, instead of becoming like a industrialist, buying up a ton of investments. And Hez Holdings was one of yes. the vehicles through which he did this. So yes. Ayodeji Balogo joined his holdings as in, on the impact investment team to yes. help make investments, make decisions about impact investing, etc. Yes. And the timing right now for the audience is 2012-ish, 2013-ish, yeah. somewhere yeah. in those two years. Yeah. Around 2012, actually, his holdings was looking to set up a, a commodity exchange in East Africa. So they partnered with Nicolas Begren, who is also a Swiss, who is a Swiss billionaire made money from a bunch of things, nice. retail, hedge fund, and, and Jendai Fraser, who is a former U.S. government official who now runs a private investment and consulting firm. 
Those were the three nice. founding investors of East Africa Exchange at the time. So this was announced in in Kenya and Uganda. It was a big thing. I think they took it to Davos. It was supposed to be right. the biggest private commodity, the first private commodity, commodities exchange in that region, I think. EAX. Yeah. They e- called it. EAX, East Africa Exchange. That was in 2012, 2013 as well. Yes. And yes. yeah, so they set it up. There was, the plan was to set it up and then set up the infrastructure for them to start trading there. Now, the way he tells the story is that during that setup period, they got a visit from the then Minister of Agriculture in Nigeria, Akiadishino, now President of Africa Development Bank, saying, hey, you guys should come set this up in Nigeria. And yes. Tuni Lumelu, the Begrin Charitable Trust, and Jendai Fraser all agreed it was a good idea. And yes. they set up... Apex and EAX as a subsidiary, as a wholly owned subsidiary of Apex, pretty much. That was kind of like the birth of the FX Holdings, Africa Exchange Holdings, Africa Commodity Exchange. Um, and that was so, kind of the birth of that commercial entity. Now you can see why Bankoli said it has similarities with InterSwitch. So in case you haven't listened to our InterSwitch episode, it was more an agreement between multiple corporate entities, the banks, deciding to start a company as a project, then hiring someone to become the CEO. So this isn't a typical, like, IO wanted to start a business and he got investors, had an idea, yeah. and built a tech platform. This is much more the investors behind the scenes wanted to do that, and then they hired him. Yes, he's the founding executive, but it's not really the same as a typical founder. It doesn't really yeah. matter, but just because we do a lot of episodes, we're just trying to draw to a, a slightly different point. But in the broader scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It matters in sense of equity and how much he owns, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. We'll leave that to him in his checkbook. So. At, at about being very well funded, I would say that he talked about, I'll get to the fundraising in a section, but he talked about them spending $7 million on some tech that wasn't necessary multiple times, multiple stories. Right, yes. Yes. So they talked about them spending that large sum amount of money. But if you put that in context, it's like, oh, we spent 7% of the $10 million of fundraising. Like in 2014, raising $10 million, I don't think many people were raising that kind of, those kind of numbers, right? Definitely I think Paystack raised, Paystack raised 11 million in 2018, right? Like, so right. That's, that's kind of, it was a large number at the time. It doesn't right. look like it was publicized. They were a very well-funded startup as well. Agriculture Correct. or not, they were definitely very well-backed. Obviously, when you're backed by when at least two billionaires on your founding team, it, it kind of helps on the, on the funding. Yes, correct. They said when they started in East Africa with EAX, they thought they would first of all build tech. Yeah. And then after the tech was working, do the operational underpinnings. But it turned out that the $7 million they used to build the tech was not as useful because they needed actually to build the operational stuff first. Yeah. So by the time they pivoted to the Nigeria version, which is the Apex version we're talking about, they spent more time on the warehouse operations bottoms up versus top-down digital tech platforms. They said yeah. it was a waste. Seven million seems to be a lot for software, but I don't know how they did I wasn't, it. They I mean, seven million is a lot of money soft, for software. For software like. Especially if you, even if you did a lifetime license, because SaaS wasn't so big then. Strange. But anyway, it doesn't matter. All that matters is they took a slightly different approach with warehouses and operations in Nigeria yeah. versus the approach they use in East Africa. And coming to Nigeria, the goal was to build a warehouse receipt system. Farmers bring supplies, yes. put it in the warehouse, get a piece of paper that they can then get credit against. They can use it and store it there, etc. Create buffer stock, yes. use it for financing. It was pretty, pretty big deal. They had a plan yes. at the time to set that up in 2014 and 2015. They basically said their goal was to set up and operate warehouses, connect processors to finance, build a technology-enabled exchange. And to get finances for to get financing for the farmers as well, and that was something they wanted to do when they started at the beginning with the warehouses. Yeah, it sounds so obvious to me. I would have expected by 2014 
there would already be a lot of warehouses to store goods. But it's because I guess I'm using the lens of high expectations. If we remember again from the clip, these are smallholder farmers doing like they're doing subsistence farming, just enough to eat. They don't have enough scale and the market isn't evolved enough to have proper storage facilities. The checks doesn't meet the right quality. Can we store it? How do yeah. we do off processing? So I guess it sounds obvious that they would, but apparently they did not, at least not at scale. That's what they started with. Warehouse receipt system to test, grade, store yeah. all the um, produce from the farmers. Strange. Yeah, and they had contractors managing the warehouses as well. They had some... It's a very um, yeah. interesting business model, but I'm sure um, I did you be listening to this and say, well, that's not how it works, but right. you can email us. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they would just be like, look, we looked at the market and the market needed X and we did X. It doesn't matter what yeah. you think they need. Based on what their experience in East Africa, apparently yeah. warehouses, warehousing was what was needed. That's what they did. That was the start of FX. We'll talk about how the product evolved later. I can mm -hmm. talk about the fundraising now. Let's go. Exciting. Money, 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 so, money, money. There's an interview with the CEO where he talks about many interviews, talks about burning seven million of the first $10 million on the technology platform. Couldn't find any information about fundraising, but if you say 70%, $7 million, you kind of assume somebody said to them at least $10 million to start, which yes. is sizable, yes. right? Somebody made a big bet yes. on this stuff. That's a lot. It's a lot of money. Especially if you do the proper, technically was a pre-seed round, even yeah. though we're not using that terminology, $10 million is a lot of money for pre-seed because there's no right. business. Yeah. Um, I guess if you have a, a bunch of billionaires, you have more flexibility, which is great. Great advantage if you can get it. Yeah, maybe it wasn't even maybe it wasn't even meant to be a venture back thing. Maybe it was just maybe it's not going to put in ten million dollars <laughs> of your money in a let's run it. That's let's funny. run it. Um, right. It's possible, it's possible actually. Yeah. Who knows? And in twenty nineteen they had a fundraising round as well. I, I was I have in my notes a series here. Yeah, I realized where did I see series anything from? <laughs> just made it up. But in twenty nineteen <laughs> Yeah. The US raised money. From consonants holdings, it didn't seem like it was a priced round, but mm. you know they didn't announce the size, they announced the scale. Consonants put money to increase liquidity of the commodity markets, strengthen operations, nice. technology systems. Basically, fundraising boilerplate for use yes. of funds here. Sh sh shout out to Mobology yeah. of Consonants, friend of the podcast. Shout out, shout out to Mobology. Twenty twenty three. Then this was the big one. They raised that twenty six and a half million dollars from. British international Big. investment. This was important. First of all, BII, I was like, why haven't I heard of? Oh, yeah, it used to be called CDC. Yes, they renamed, they rebranded. Yeah, because the COVID thing wasn't really helping, <laughs> helping the press. The other thing is, yeah. BII has been involved in this company for a while. They gave them a 350K bond in 2016. They gave them a grant in 2018, oh, right. 2019. Okay. It wasn't, so it's almost like, you know, it was incremental. This is, this is not a company that saw a deck and, and came into it or it didn't look like it, they've been pretty involved and it's impact investing is down their alley and right. they will pay a good price because of the impact angle for some of the stuff. In fact, that's all they do. They're DFI doing developments and impacts. The whole crux of BII is to do development finance slash impact investing. They don't do anything else. Yeah, I'm curious what your opinion is on why we don't see, like there's continents in the area around, but no other VCs here, right? For the number one fastest well, growing company in 2023, according to Financial Times. I don't believe the FT stuff, number one, complete bollocks. I don't believe that. Not. I don't believe any part of it. 500% um, kicker in three years. I don't believe it. I don't I'll post the Financial Times article <sighs> in the show notes. Yes. Yes. Because according to that, we'll talk about it later. Their revenues are 100 million, right? Is it your revenue? Yeah, no. No, I don't, I, I, I don't believe it. It, it. It's one of those things where it's conflation of TPV, GMV, some top line thing where the cut is in actual net revenue. There's something going on there which is not believable. But anyway, let's come back to your first question. Your first question, were you about to say something? I'm saying if they do 100 million of trades, 
even that's still impressive. I I, I don't want you to, I don't want to dismiss. Hundred million or TPV is still a lot. You cannot steal it. In a competitive market. I don't know if it's imp- okay. I don't know if it's impressive in in a table where you're comparing someone's actual revenue to someone's TPV. Then the whole table is skewed, right? If you have a table of rankings, and someone is using metric A, someone is using metric B, it skews everything. You're, what you're saying is fair, but the fact it's in a table and doing compare, you have to do apples okay. to apples. Okay. Otherwise, the table is lost, right? Maybe, what are you okay. then comparing to? Okay, maybe it's not a f- maybe it's not number one in the revenue column. But the list is not called the most revenue. The list is called the fastest growing. So they've grown Fine. TPV massively. The others have grown revenue Something. small. small. Yeah. yeah. So I guess your question about why don't we have more institutional VCs, we have to come back to it at the end. I think it's because of the nature of the market, the nature of the business. It started off under a foundation. The primary investor is a DFI that does impact yeah, the, investing. The cap, the cap table is uh. smelling. Yeah, it just takes long. I, I bet you, even if we had Mobology on the call from Continent Ventures, even he would admit there's also some altruistic impact side to the angle. Maybe not. Maybe his LPs don't agree. But I, I don't. I, it's just it's just the answer. It's a hard business to make work. It's slow. It's capital intensive. And a lot of VCs are not that interested. That's why almost all the people on the yeah. cap table are impacts at DFI. That doesn't mean it's not going to work. That doesn't mean it's not going to be amazing. It just means it's harder to attract institutional VCs. And you know why? Yeah. Because it's hard. They own a bunch of warehouses. You can't meet, you can't even meet ownership. It would be very difficult to meet ownership thresholds where seed funds be like, you got to yes, win 10%. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and Tony says, are you, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> are you dizzy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At some oh. point, I saw they owned between 150 and 250 warehouses. It's a lot. But I don't know if that's what they plan to open or what they open. But it's not a... The operational intensity is high. Maybe not yeah. as high as Jumia, but it, it's a yeah. lot. It's a and, lot. and when you talk about course. what they plan to use this fundraising for, it was 20 warehouses in Nigeria, Kenya, and Uganda, scale warehouse mm. technology, and next-generation software that captures post-harvest pricing. Next gen yeah. software. No one is using current, current yeah, gen software. The, the, seven, the seven million that is. The seven million. The seven million is not enough, Abby. It's not enough software. Okay. Seven, seven million was for current gen. You were not. You were, for next you, were, gen. you were not informed. Continue. <laughs> you were not informed. Uh, they also want to get you, more warehouses, uh, 230,000 yes. metric tons of storage, 200,000 more farmers, increasing income by 200%, 700 temporary jobs, 80 permanent roles. New soybean processing plants in Ibadan. They had like have big dreams. This was in November of this year. They have really big dreams for this fundraising round uh, of $30 million. I don't know. Yeah. And this put them on the map because actually, if you do any research for AFEX, the primary reporting from the press is this round. Because first of all, it just happened in 2023, November. We're wow. reporting now 2023, December. It's fresh. Second of all, it's quite a large amount of money considering the market cycle we're in, which is down 265 yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It looks Market good. Market cycle Let's context go is actually an important but point. But it's, it's, it's just a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Capital is expensive and the hurdle rate, the hurdle, the, rate, the hurdle rate for something like this is also going to be extra high. Like, BI, you got to show me your model, fam. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll do growth in geo expansion. Geo expansion normally is actually quite long and convoluted. There is actually very short and sweet. So they, they were founded 2014-ish. And they primarily focus on Nigeria. Obviously, that's the home market. That's, in fact, they started in East Africa, but as far as Apex definition is confirmed, is, is concerned, they started in Nigeria. In 2022, they entered Kenya, and in 2023, they entered Uganda. It makes sense they would eventually expand into East Africa because they have 
the former experience, as you heard in the origin story, they have the relationships in those geos anyway. So as of today, they're in Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda. And in the future, they've announced that they want to be in Ivory Coast, Ghana, Benin, Togo, Tanzania, Ethiopia, and Zambia. A bunch of yeah. East African countries and then some West African countries, a little bit of Francophone, if you count Ivory Coast and, and Togo there. More, more expansion East and West in the future. I wonder how this works with the East Africa Exchange, which is a wholly owned subsidiary. Maybe when they say going to these East African countries, it means through their wholly owned subsidiary. Because why compete? Why the parent company competes with the foreign company, set up a competing exchange in those markets? So this is a good question. As far as the reporting is concerned, no one ever spoke about the East Africa stuff anymore. So maybe it was closed down and now they're restarting it. Because there's maybe, a lot of Maybe just, just rebranded as, as Apex. And, and with a new launch, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah, they launched a bunch of software yeah. a lot of times, for example. <laughs> Current gen and next gen. So yeah, that's the, the summary of it. Uh, primarily, om- almost all the revenue would be in Nigeria, obviously. A little bit in Kenya, Uganda, because they just launched. Over time, they go east-west. They leverage some of the same learnings, and then they go from there. All right, so that's their geo part. In terms of partnerships and expansion, they basically partner with four major institutions. First, first of all, warehousing and logistics. Obviously, they don't necessarily need to hire their own employees to, hire, to work in the warehouses. So they partner with warehousing operators, contractors, also logistics. It's not just warehouse. In the warehouse, you eventually have to move the crops and the goods. Yeah. So warehousing and logistics partners, ecosystem players, that's the first type of partnership they do. Important for their business because even though they have more tech and product stuff now, for the first four to five years of their business, from 2014 to 2018, they were primarily warehouse and logistics. So this is the core of their business. Second, financial institutions. Of course, they need to partner with microfinance institutions, with banks, because they provide farmers with loans and trade financing. And someone needs to do the credit assessments and the loan disbursement. They have those partnerships. Also, they do a lot of mobile money payments to the partners. They partner with some fintechs. They've started to offer insurance. So of course, they partner with insurance companies. So the second category is financial institutions. Third is agribusinesses and buyers. After you've partnered with the farmers and they have the crops, you've stored it, you need someone that's actually going to buy it, which is the agribusinesses. And of course, they're trying to reduce the need for middlemen. So it's better for them to directly connect the farmers to the buyers. Because the more middlemen you have, the less margin you have. Because the middlemen take out the yeah. margin, obviously. They also partner with input suppliers. Yes, they have a direct partnership with a fertilizer company. Because it turns out, Farmers were using really shitty fertilizer or along the transportation route, it was diluted mm-hmm. or was cheap, was inefficient. So, so they do that to help the farmers. And then last but not least, in fact, this should probably be number one, governments and uh, development agencies. Right from the start, if you heard in the founding story, it was the Minister of Agriculture that invited them to be in Nigeria. They've always had, quote unquote, good relationships with the governments, which is needed. And then development agencies help them with funding and partnerships and all that stuff. Just to summarize, four major partnerships. Warehouse and logistics, number one. Number two, financial institutions. Number three, agribusinesses and buyers and suppliers. Number four, government and development agencies. So it's, it's sort of what you would expect for this type of business. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's the partnership part is a core part of their business because there seem to be this, when it works well, this glue between all these different stakeholders. People yes. care about the farmers, <laughs> even social, yes. social enterprises, governments, the SEC for the exchange, the banks for the financing that they provide to farmers, the fertilizer providers. So they're kind of like in this middle, and it's a very partnership-heavy business. Like any one of these partners pulls out, the almost the entire business model kind of falls apart. They're very yes. dependent on each and each and every one of these partners over time. Yes, hopefully they have a 
partner dependency strategy that has multiple partners providing the same endpoint so to reduce the dependency risk well, hopefully but it depends some partners don't want that well dependent <laughs> on Nigeria. well dependent on Nigeria that one is not even it cannot it cannot, it cannot remove the Nigerian government's independence exactly for better for worse so in, in um, some of the interviews pe- the, people do you have anything else to add on, on that Yes, I have one one more thing to add. In some of the interviews, they had a good way to phrase this. They said, we looked at the business model of Amazon and Alibaba. And Amazon had a strong foundation of a lot of things are working well in America. Mm -hmm. When we build our business, we don't necessarily need to be as dependent on some of the infrastructure providers versus Alibaba, obviously China, not as developed as America. So they needed to do a much more decentralized strategy. They had Mm -hmm. a lot of partners and the partners had more agency. They said they adopted more of the Alibaba model, which means more partners more decentralized and just letting the ecosystem go on its own because you, you can't you can't expect things to work properly. You need a lot of backups. That summarizes the partnership strategy. Okay, inorganic growth. I was surprised by this. I thought for sure there'd be nothing under this section, but apparently they invested in a company called AgriCorp. Worst name ever, by the way, just like MCM. Didn't, didn't we almost so Agri- do that as an episode? We almost did that. We took them out, thank God. What is AgriCorp? AgriCorp is a tech-enabled company, which means it's not a tech company. Every time we say tech-enabled, just read that as not tech. Um, it's a Nigerian not-tech company that's a spices exporter. I was like, oh, that's dope. They work with a bunch of uh, farmers. They enable them to have better production, better quality, and then they export it internationally, which has more money. And they raised a bunch of money, and Apex was in one of the rounds. Apex provided working capital financing, so they did not provide equity. That's the the only major investment that they made that's been publicized. Interesting. It makes sense. Very interesting. Yeah, ex- exporting company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because eventually you make a lot more money if you're able to. Okay, agriculture 101. Most of the value is not in the farming. Is the value you add to the crop before it gets to the final good. So if you're able to do that step, you capture more of the value. So that's what AgriCorp is trying to do: capture more of the production step and actually do the selling internationally. So we'll see how that goes. Working capital financing, that sounds lower risk than equity and the only major publicized investment. Cool. Okay. Or, strategy. or maybe maybe was an investment made through that vehicle of FX that somebody else wanted to make. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Mm, if, if you know, email us, info.com. We could talk about it offline. Okay. People strategy. So I looked at the FT articles and I noticed that based on the FT articles, we can find the number of employees they've had over time. Around 2017, 2018, they had between 60 and 90 employees. So very lean, actually. But of course, that's because of the partnership strategy. Also, they also have a lot of contractors and vendors that are not reported. This is full-time Lots employees. Of contractors. Cough, cough. Sh- 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 shout out to American tech companies and their vendors and contractors. Side joke. Okay, come back on topic. Come back on topic. As of, as of 2020, they had around 200 employees. And as of 2021 to 2023, which is time of recording, they have between 250 and 350 employees. A lot, but not really a lot in the grand scheme of things. Based on the impact they're having, I'll say the number of employees is small, but because we don't know, because we don't know the number of vendors and contractors, it's hard to say the number is actually meaningful. But just since we have yeah. a lot of time now for building, let's give you useless information. Why not? So you can play <laughs> with it. The corporate structure, I, I, I was very impressed by how they had very clearly defined roles for different executives. I worked a bunch of yeah. interviews where there's like CEO, CFO, CEO, VP yeah. of trade. There's VP of markets. Yeah. yeah, markets. There's someone who does just the exchange. Head of so brand. From the outside, yes, from the outside, it seems to be clearly defined roles with specialized stakeholders running different teams. But because we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, it's unclear if that's just marketing. Because that's when you're doing a video, <laughs> everyone needs to come and talk. But I would say... From the quick amount of research, it seems to be a clearly defined org with different responsibilities, which is yeah. important because they do a lot of different things. So they need specialized yeah. skills. I also see that they have like a group 
structure because I saw somebody CEO FX Nigeria I'm like whoa your name is not Balogun. <laughs> but it's like a separate like <laughs> FX Nigeria separate entity versus group CEO FX which is what yes. the title that IADG uses now which I, I think is pretty yes. cool and kind of yes. at least demonstrates ambition if nothing else yes because his titles change over time when he started in 2014 he was the country manager around 2017-2018 he became like the MD and now he's like the regional MD slash group CEO, or sometimes just CEO. It means something slightly different. I guess now they're in different countries. So there's a, I think Overworked is the Reddit channel. Yeah. And someone's asking, what's your LinkedIn strategy when you have like yeah. three jobs? Yeah. <laughs> the top right answer, I said I temporarily, I temporarily suspended my LinkedIn account. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Just to avoid any drama, he yeah. suspended the entire account. Shout out, is it Overworked? I don't remember what it is, but there's yeah. a... Read a group specifically to multiple jobs. I love reading that. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, thank People, you, COVID. Like, you have, you have multiple... was horrible, but there's some good outfits. Yeah, just like close us. the whole LinkedIn. Avoid yeah, yeah. drama. Because eventually, you can't keep... They'll catch you, right? Um, you can't keep announcing okay. the team for one launch. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to take the jobs wherever they show up. You can't just be like, oh, I work for right. Pinterest. I don't want to do for Reddit. Bro, it's nah, the job I got. Nah. nah. Right, yo. It's the job I got. You can't, okay. you can't beat me. All right, cool. Product strategy. So, uh, I'm good. Product strategy. I was a product strategy, monetization, and and some user metrics. So, on the product strategy, as we discussed earlier, they have three business lines. One that makes money from buying, actually buying the commodities, aggregating them and selling them and exporting them. It's probably in line with their investment in AgriCorp because that's like AgriCorp's primary business. Primary business. There's an mm. investment limited where they raise and distribute capital to grow some commodity supply chains. Essentially, they provide farmers advances on fertilizer or credits. The way they describe this is they talk to farmers who come and deposit and get receipts, uh, deposit produce and get warehouse receipts who tell them, oh, I have six hectares, but I can only afford to farm two. It's like, oh, here's more money to farm the others and pay us back when you bring the harvest because we know you're good for it. They have a whole thing and they partner with microfinance bank to, to finance that. Yes. And so surprisingly, I didn't expect this. On this second company, Apex Investment Limited, yeah. they also sometimes fund food processing companies. I was like, oh, okay, I guess both sides of the marketplace. I assumed, of course, they would fund the farmers, but I guess they're doing both because yeah. if you overfund the farmers and the food processing companies aren't big enough, you're still screwed. Both of them need to be at similar scale to buy the food and make the food, the, um, buy the processed crop and make the crop. So I'm sure almost all of it is to the farmers. Though. But it's also but where one farmers. of the interesting things that Maybe they love conservation of profits in finances. Man, that's a that's some risk, right? Like I feel like subsidizing both sides of the ecosystem is some financial risk. Like without even going to the details risk. of what is that? Like you are eating up a bunch of climate risk on one side and demand risk on yes. the other side. But good for them. They're obviously making it work. Yes. And yes. hopefully hopefully, hopefully they're actually not bearing as much risk as we think because the risk assessment, the loan disbursement is handled by the banks. And they just give the information to the finance institutions. But I'm sure it's more complicated than that. But hopefully there's some hopefully there's some agreement where they're Olumide, not taking it Olumide, really like, I'm making a face to Olumide right now. Like, Olumide, you believe that? Yeah, I know you're saying that, like, technically, uh, but you believe that? If you know, if you know, you if know. You believe that? You believe that? <laughs> okay, okay. So okay, that's okay. the second okay. business. Third and the third business is one they're more commonly known for that kind of sparked why we added it here is the commodities exchange, right? So it's in theory, connects producers and buyers and even individuals, broker dealers. The point being, when it works well, when commodities exchanges work well, you're able to take a position on the price of a commodity over time. For example, during COVID, commodity prices spiked so much, a lot of people made a lot of money. 
in 2020. It was actually the best year for FX. Globally, commodity prices spiked because everyone was nervous about commodities. Russia-Ukraine mm-hmm. war, I think some commodity things as well. So just the different things happen with commodities and you can take a position on that and make money or lose money on that. If you are working in that industry, you can decide to hedge your position on commodities. So if you are for the, at, the, at the risk of being simplistic, if you are a chicken republic selling fries, you can decide to hedge the price of potatoes. You don't. Your business doesn't get mm-hmm. uh, screwed over because potatoes went up 25%. You can basically agree Correct. on a contract. Pay Basically pay a little to guarantee a future price of potatoes for a year or something. Airlines do this yes. uh, jet fuel, for example. So they don't yes. get screwed over yes. by by Yo, changes in crude oil price. But by fuel, did you see, was it Southwest? I think it was Southwest. One of the airlines was famous for never hedging. And yeah. then eventually they got completely screwed. They yeah. were bragging, bragging for Southwest. years and years. Yeah. I think it was, and then one year, like, well, because it, it's, yeah. it's like, I can understand both parts of it, but I prefer to be able to control the cost of my major inputs just for financial mm-hmm. planning. But I understand yeah. also why they didn't do it. If it's working, it's working, until it doesn't. No, it's almost, I even, my philosophy is not even whether you do it or don't do it. Is that you want to make sure you have the expertise mm. to do it. It's almost like, because people, mm. people think they're an airline, but they're really a trading company. It's like, no, no, no. We're a trading mm-hmm. company with planes. Because you don't pretend mm. that you are like a plane company. And do, but do, if you're going to do the two, make sure that the person in charge of that thing is in the board meeting. Like, it's not like some analyst assignment to, to hedge or not hedge. Like, that person needs to be in the board meeting, not like a... Oh, we have a hedging plan. True. Okay, cool. Next topic. No. True. That's how these True. people do it. In theory, in practice, many people don't do it. It's, it's kind of pointless. You want to eat the risk sometimes because you also get the upside. Like, I don't hedge the cost of, of petrol in my car because price goes up, <laughs> price goes down. I can eat it either way. In Seattle, you okay? This is actually a good point. Well, on this topic, to actually list some of the agricultural products that Apex works with. Yeah. Maize, rice, sorghum, wheat, cocoa, cashew, ginger. It looks like for Semi-seed, most of their history, they so primarily yeah. focused. Yes, exactly. And, yeah, and it looks like a lot of it was cocoa, but it just looks like over time now it's broader. So it's all those lists. It's hard to know what the majority is now, but some of the early reports from 2014, 2015 said it was primarily cocoa, but now it's it's more diversified yeah. across those crops. And, and they've built, so that's what they do. The exchange, the investment arm, and the fair trade limited, different business lines. It's been difficult to parse impossible to parse how each of the business lines are doing, but we'll just take their word for it that it's three and it's all going great. The Lumbi is making a face. To enable those products, so they have built different technological platforms. They talk about a software a lot. Yes. And I try to dig into like, what's this software? So I'm going to just present the software without comments. Two, one is okay. work... I'll, I'll give the commentary. One is Workbench, which is an ERP system. The whole point is to connect the inputs. Basically, somebody submits something... <clears throat> Somebody sells something, the receipts, basically like a an ERP system. If you worked on some of those, SAP sells them off the shelf and they had to customize some stuff for yes. themselves. It comes in an app and stuff, but these things are, it's a fairly common use case to input data across multiple inputs and track that across multiple. That is yes. some customization done, but there's a lot of SAP consultants. It's a lucrative gig. Yeah. I went on the Google Play Store for it. It seems to not have a lot of adoption because the number of reviews were minuscule, but it also it may also be that because it's for farmers, farmers don't review apps yeah. in the way a regular consumer would. Yeah. But I'm not sure how much adoption this thing is getting. It, it, it was very, almost had no reviews at all. Strange. Anyway. It, was, it was for their field extension officers. Maybe it's for employees, basically. It's for, for the people who go oh, and collect. Oh, 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 so the farmers don't use it directly. The farmers don't use it. What are the farmers using the app for? Should they are collecting receipts? What are they using the app for? No, 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 no but eventually if... Ah, okay, okay, okay. Because okay. you need to... But the person at the store that is talking to farmers needs to input information about the farmers Correct. or what they're submitting okay. and stuff like that. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, okay. So, so this is 
for the employees working at Apex yeah. to make sure all the information is in their own internal database. It makes a yeah. lot of sense. But then why why is it even listed? Why is it listed at all then on the police store? It shouldn't be listed. How do you distribute it then? <clears throat> you make it internal now. It's just an internal app that's not publicly facing. You can make internal apps that aren't publicly shown on the police store. Oh. It's a company app. Yeah, but you have you just make you, it private. You're a lot of Facebook are, apps aren't in the police. These are now. contracts. No, no. I, you're, you're looking at companies that have the infrastructure to do that versus <laughs> you have the app, you ship it to the store, you send them a link. Guy. <laughs> Fisher's guy. Oh, yeah, right. But he did spend $7 million dollars on software. <laughs> ah, never let them live that down. down that shit. That's yeah. one. They I also build a, a platform mm-hmm. for securitization of the assets. Basically, taking the receipts, turning into something that you can trade. Earlier on, mm. when they did with EX, they said they were working with NASDAQ on some software there, but they also seemed to build something else. It's called ComX mm. in 2020, replaced yes. by something else that. called Africa Exchange in 2023. But it's yes, supposed to be yes. their trading platform where... It's like a yes. stock market settlement, order collection, order, order management platform, collateral management, tracking with an online. They also built something else to connect the trading to the ERP. So basically, there's a source yeah. of truth on on what the, they have and what is traded. This linked to underlying asset or equity. The ComX for me was very intriguing. It was very consumer facing. It looked like it was just an investing app for commodities. I was like, oh, no, it just can't be this. But yes, it is. In, in yeah. fact, in the initial marketing announcements, they announced COMEX is the first commodities trading app in Africa. For our audience in the U.S., think about it like Robinhood. But instead of buying stocks, you invest in commodities. Like you invest in beans, rice, whatever, at some price X, and then you sell it at a hopefully higher price. If you're in the U.K., think about it like free trade or like eToro. The U.S. looked okay. The reviews were very bad on Google Play Store, mm-hmm. 3.0. Users are not happy about the stability of it, but apart from that, it seems to be an okay-ish idea. The app, the app um, or the app returns? Nigeria has only difference. <laughs> Two different things. The returns are based on your poor poor decisions. The app is based on the developers. But yeah. e- e- either way, it's, um, it's a very, very consumer-facing app to uh, invest in commodities. Which is pretty cool. I, I didn't try it, but maybe I will. That's like, I heard someone making fun of someone. said, I read an article about this guy and he said he was a billionaire. What? He said, okay, billionaire Naira. Of course, come on, man. Like, if, if it's like that, then we're all billionaires in Naira. I'm like, no, not, that's uh, you. <laughs> I see at my level. I see at my level. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're all said, we're all, the guy said, we're all billionaires in Naira. I said, what? <laughs> I know. That's what we? I said, who? What? <laughs> Me? Nah, dude. I'm the affability guy. I'm trying. I'm <laughs> trying my best here. I'm trying my damn best. What are you when talking I, about? <laughs> when I went, speaking of affability, when I went to the Africa Business Conference at HBS, right? So I had a name tag that said my name and affability, right? Yeah. And I'll meet people and they'll talk to me like, oh, what do you do? Like, oh, I have a podcast because I, I don't talk about my other job because yeah. it's like, oh, I have a podcast. Of course. And they will talk like, oh, what's your podcast about? Tell them. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah. So what else do you do? No, I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody are really trying to ask me is, how do you eat? <laughs> how broke? How broke how, are you? Yo, how do what? you survive? How do you survive in this in this Boston? How are you managing to make it? You know, has anyone has anyone ever asked you directly? Someone asked me once, how do you pay your bills? I was confused by the directness yeah. of the question. But like, so how do you? Up some shit. There are people that like. I feel like I had that conversation at least more than twice, where you could tell what they're really trying to ask. Nobody was that direct at the ABC because Africans, pretty much like. So what else is on the? Like, so what else is on your plate? I'm like, I don't know. I might be recording this weekend if I get back to Seattle in time. Okay, okay. Because we're creators, we have a lot of creator friends. So I was talking to one of my friends. I won't say his name. Yeah. He runs another podcast, and he is single, right? So he goes on a date. <laughs> So awkward. And they're talking, chatting. He says the date is going well. The girl is talking. They're vibing. Eventually, 
the lady's talking about her job for so long. She finally asks him what he does. And he says, podcaster. She says, wait, is that it? Yes, <laughs> 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 said he was insulted. Dude. <laughs> I mean, You know, that's... I, I love, oh I think I definitely love like talking people, but like, yeah, what do you do? I just, I'm an affability. Have you heard about it? Yeah, that's what I do. And like anything else, like yeah. what else is going on in your life? Just affability, fam. That's all I have. Okay. About the, about the product strategy, more back to FX product strategy. They started off trying to be asset light, build software. And very quickly, they started being asset heavy. And that has led them to a pos- position where maybe I've talked about the cost structure of their monetization has brought them to a position where they have a lot of non-tech costs, the way you would imagine picking yes. payments or pay stack or interstate as their costs, right? Yes. They have capital yeah, they have costs. 200 warehouses, apparently. Yeah, warehouses, transportation. And I saw it like, oh, 2018 was the first ever got our first fleet of trucks. I'm like, first fleet? Whoa. Good luck. <laughs> they have quality assurance costs. I, w- I was thinking about this is me... I'm not saying anybody is a cheat or a liar. I'm just saying that if you go to that, some people are collecting a bag of maize for right. 10,000 naira. You're like, okay, are they going to open every bag and count every maize? No. <laughs> then we should test. I'll, I'll put some sand. We'll test their, sand in my we bag. Test their that. quality I'm control. You understand? We'll, we'll have our children go and pick small, small pebbles <laughs> and mix it in by weight. You don't want to. You don't want to try if a country with forty percent unemployment. You will be. We're, we're doing it to help them. We're doing it be, to improve the process, not to cheat. Forty percent unemployment can create some creativity and innovation. But that's also will be a significant cost on quality assurance. There's also financing costs as well uh, that you have to eat, and there's also mm-hmm. a bunch of risks. They are really a capital. It seems from now they're a capital intensive business, and I wonder what the CEO would say about that. Would he say like? Oh, we're a tech-enabled business, or we're just, or we're like a capital-intensive business that happens to use tech. The way I don't know, the way Dangote's factory uses computers on for the mine or whatever right. for the factory I, of cement. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think you would say, and which is partially true. If you look at the transition, you would say, from 2014 to 2018, we were a physical infrastructure warehouse business, but since 2018, we've been building more and more tech, such that the tech. Like we don't need to build as much infrastructure and the tech product part of the business is going to be the core part of the business. So it's like a transition thing where they have something. Would I believe him? I don't know because they raised 26 million to build more warehouses. What are you saying? It's it's a transition business. They're doing more logistics, first fleet. That's what he would say. It's in transition to like more tech, more products and less operations. But I don't know if I would believe it, but that's for sure what he would say. Is there a tech scale? Is there a tech scale argument to be made here? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Good. Maybe. Okay. So the Financial Times has their revenue listed as $100 million, which is f- interesting. I think it might be a transaction volume. They might be counting volume traded in the exchange. Yes. It could be anything. Yes, there's something going on there. Yes, yes, yes. It's a large number, even if it's volume traded in the exchange. Because if you look at other estimates, like I, I saw an article from 2021 where they said the exchange has reached over 160,000 farmers and traded 200,000 metric tons and commodities with right. a t- total turnover of 17 billion naira, $47.6 million since 2014. So if you think about right. it, this was 2014 to 2021, and they did like under $50 million. And then 2023, our annual number is $100 million, even if that's the total commodities traded. It's, it's pretty significant growth, right? Yeah. Just, let's just do some quick finance 101. The reason why I'm so picky about this is if you are a marketplace, you have a number which could be GMV, TPV, whatever, mm-hmm. and then you have a take rate. 
when you multiply that take rate percentage by that TPV, GMV, whatever, the number you get after that should be what you call revenue, in which case you call that net revenue. But if you keep on telling people your top line GMV is revenue, then you're comparing someone's actual revenue to GMV. And because take rates are so low, in fact, for Apex, I saw between 10 and 15%. The delta is literally 10x. So it's not even close. It's not mm. like the, it, the the numbers are close. So it's probably still high because even if you take 10% of 100 million, it's 10 million, which is still good. But the point I'm just raising is we just shouldn't, we just should be clear what we're talking about so we don't confuse things. Because if one number is 10x bigger, it's a very different number. It's not even close, but it's still high. Yeah, according to the CEO, they also have a 7 to 8% EBITDA margin. I saw that. That's... That's pretty good. If you have a 10% gross margin, that makes me like, okay, you can lie all you want. If EBITDA is hitting, <laughs> if EBITDA is hitting at 78% on 100 million, you're having 7, 8 million EBITDA because the rest are going to be financing yeah. costs, right? Interest, taxes, right. depreciation, amortization. Those are all opinions, right? right? So if you right. have 7, 8 million dollars of EBITDA, come right. on. Come for, on. for me, it's just such a strange business. If your gross margins are 10%, your EBITDA is seven to eight. It means you're paying your people really, really badly. Because what's in between after the what's in between? <laughs> I finance one. What's in between the gross you margin know. and the EBITDA? Uh, it's primarily salary costs. I did just salary. And then, Shout out. And then equity. the rest. And then yes, the rest. I'll take it all. Equity. I rest. So that two percent, one point five is for me <laughs> personally. It's just so strange, man. Yeah, like, it, something doesn't. The numbers are two percent. How, how can it make any sense? Everything else is two percent. It, it, it's it's so unbelievable. It's hard to. It's almost like it must be some sort of typo. But anyway, who knows? But, if, but yeah, right. Because because if, if no, but then again, yeah, because right. <laughs> if you take ten percent as the actual net revenue, right? Right. Let's take ten percent as actual. Let's, no, let's take ten million as actual net revenue. Leave the hundred million number. Yes, yes. And yes, we're looking at an eight million dollar EBITDA. That's crazy. Like that's like so every everyone in the company. <laughs> if yo. you add all the salaries. <laughs> Yeah. No, two million dollars for two million dollars for salaries is fine, but but two million dollars for two hundred and eighty people. Uh-uh. Do you know where they are? You can get in Lagos. Do you know ah, where they okay. are? I won't okay, if you don't know, if you you know what's going on. Sixteen <laughs> k bicycle salary. <laughs> if you know, you know. I'm oh, not even Lord being facetious. Two million dollars for salary for twenty employees is more than enough. Like just. Oh my God, have Easy. mercy! You're wicked, Bunkley. You're a wicked person. You're very. I'll, I'll, let's let's leave that to the side. If let's you disagree, email me and Olympia. Tell us who is right or wrong. Two million dollars. You cannot pay three hundred people. I didn't have to. I didn't do any division. I didn't even do any division. I just took it. I, I, <laughs> I, I still think something weird is going on here. Everything. The salary is not just the big thing because you have other costs. Office it's hard space. To believe everything Office space in Balchi. Yes. 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 Office space and like in the logistic fees operational. Maybe generator. Weird, but we'll, we'll take we'll take it at face value. But gross ten EBITDA seven to eight is very strange, very that, very odd. I'm I'm not even defending them. I'm just saying that 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 that's a great business if it's true. You know what I'm saying? That that's like that's not a good business. Like like Stripe did not have that in year three or year four. You know what I mean? Like ADN did not have that. Right. Pesak did not like even asset like companies don't have that. Mm. return profile of this much mm. cash because what they usually mm. have to do is spend a lot of cash to get to that number so they end up losing money because they're spending a lot of cash to keep growing at 50% a year or 60% a year according right. to this discussion they are not spending the cash and they are still growing at 500% very, very over three years 
in a way, it's bizarre. I wonder if that gross margin of 10% is the blended gross margin and take rate. Because gross margin of 10% are so low off the bat, but then the middle of 2% is so high. It's just a bit bizarre. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it. On one hand, 10% seems extremely low. On the other hand, 7 to 8 is so efficient of the 10%. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's what I was so saying. It's strange. Like- Everything flows through for two, but every single cost. All the salaries, all the rent, all the building, all the warehouses, all the logistics, because that's not part of gross. That's that's in the middle operational. All that is two percent. Anyway, it's fine. We're not going to get caught up on the numbers. I think the big maybe adjusted, adjusted, be that adjusted. Yeah, the slight adjustment going on. Yeah, the big takeaway is the numbers seem to be mostly good, but there's some question mark around. What are they actually reporting? What are the details? What's in the weeds? Like, what's the take rate versus gross? What's TPV versus GMV? And then also like. The operational cost of the warehousing and logistics, yeah. is that passed on to the partners or are they absolving? As far as I know, they own those warehouses. We have to be paying for those. Yeah, please, um, but please, anyway, please so, email so far, us. So good. Please email us. I'd be love to hear from people to tell us we are right or we're wrong or we misunderstood something. But all I can say is from where I stand, it doesn't compute. You yes, s- because one, one thing is for sure, because this is on their website, the warehouse network and the logistics are primarily first party. Those yeah. warehouses, they own them. So they hire people to work in them, but they own it. It's TBD, OPEX, TBD on OPEX how the costs are set up. Exactly. Exactly what I was going to say. IFRS, IFRS also has rules on capitalizers versus operating leases, and that, that, that loophole is gone. Of course. Anyways, user metrics, they have 80,000 investors on their... Basically, as of the last, when they announced the new Africa Exchange, they had 80,000 investors over the last couple of years. Difficult to get annual numbers mm. for these people. So they have 80,000 okay. investors on okay. their trading platform. They've touched 450,000 okay. farmers, but that seems a cumulative since the beginning of Adam number. <laughs> just, just add a farmer to it. I don't even know how they come up with that. But 200 warehouses are one of the fastest growing companies. Number one, actually, not one of the fastest, the fastest growing company yes. in Africa, according to the Financial Times. So I find that very impressive from like a metrics perspective. Thoughts? Yes, especially if you if you agree that they're profitable based on EBITDA. It was be so it means the top line is growing at a fast rate and the bottom line is positive, which is where normally in order to grow the top line, you're eating the losses. Yeah. But in this case, if we if we believe the numbers, even it, it's it's a good sign. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. Without being negative. Exactly. That's exactly my point. Like if this is true, then it's even better than we thought because most right. it's different. If you 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 have an eight percent EBITDA margin, you don't need to investors buy. You don't need investors. You take debt. Right. You take right. debt. You finance the right. debt and you move on. You don't need investors. Like you. You right, self-finance right. your growth. Although, although EBITDA is not the same. This is finance shit now. It's not the bottom line. You still have to pay. Still be negative, right? No. You, you still have financing costs. Yes, but so, but but if you have if you if so, you yes you have no you have financing costs. If you've taken you've taken debt to run the cost, but there is equity. So let's say you have some financing costs because they took debt with from Access Bank separately, whatever, and they have taxes. Yes, all yes, those yes. things are all financing choices. That still means that they can they have flexibility around. They have yes. a, they still have a yes. bunch of cash flow yes. that they can decide yes, what to yes, do. Yes, yes, yes. Most yes, people don't yes, have yes, the luxury yes. of that decision. Is what I'm pointing out. Correct, like, correct. No, have, I agree with you. I was yeah. just trying to separate for the audience: operational profit and net profit. You still have to take out the finance part of it. But you're right; you have some flexibility yeah. because those were yeah. decisions you made to raise the capital. Yeah. And EBITDA is very close to cash. You can refinance. You can, EBITDA is probably close to correct. cash, right? You can refinance and stuff like. Dude, look, let's right. let's. If we don't have a cash don't, flow don't, statement... Don't get Warren Buffett angry, though, if yeah. you say that, because the depreciation of some businesses make it not as close as it seems. But for, for Nigerian businesses, they're fine. I I think that you are asking me... <laughs> I have the wrong question. You're asking me ask. this to, go to, the UFC, to go to the UFC and do a complicated move. <laughs> if I can last 10 seconds there, like if I can hit EBITDA, 
That's what I'm mad. You're asking me to hit the cash flow and it, bro, if these guys are actually hitting that number, you think anything else matters? You're asking too many detailed questions. If this is true, you think it'd be like, oh, but the depreciation, what? Like if, if, if that number is true, nothing else will matter. Like it doesn't matter if they're like on $6 billion of debt. It'd be like, don't worry. If this is your engine to spit out, I give you hundred million, you give me eight million back and you have to finance mm. the debt. Don't worry. Because it's spinning out cash that can pay off anything. I, I, I've never in all my years looking at businesses seen a company with 10% gross margins that has 8% EBITDA considering all the know. operational. It just doesn't make any sense. You don't sense. know money. You don't know money. It that's literally why. makes you don't know money. That's no why. sense. You don't know money. If you know but money, it, if you're I've, familiar with Tony's business. For, for now, I'm going to assume the gross margin is actually blended take rate and gross margin. Then it makes more sense. Otherwise, no way. Okay. Should we do competition? Competition, competition. yeah. Comp- that's a competition. I think we spent okay, a lot of time okay. on the 10%. <laughs> <clears throat> for better or for worse. Okay, so competition. In, in a way, what they do is so unique. They're the first private company that does what they do in terms of a commodities exchange. But in another way, what they do is not so unique. So they have different competitors depending on what part of the business they look at. Let's look at their broader business, which I'll just say farmer empowerment and value chain mm-hmm. efficiency business. We have... The biggest competitor, obviously, like every Afrobeat episode, is status quo, which is the traditional market structure, what the farmers were doing before, old, uh, basically using old fertilizers, not increasing their knowledge, using the same aggregators, subscale. The biggest competitor, obviously, for the primary businesses, farmers just not adopting the platform and doing whatever yeah. they were doing before. In other words, status quo. Everything else, not so much of a competitor. We can go into it, but we don't need to. But for the, part, the other part of the business, for ComX, which again is the consumer-facing digital trading platform. There are a lot of competitors in that space. Not yeah. just competitors that allow you to invest in agriculture. Listen to some of our former episodes. It, the actual competitors are consumer platforms enable you to invest in anything to increase yeah. your money. Interesting. Because typically, when someone, wants, when someone wants to invest in a commodities platform, not that they care about maize. <laughs> <laughs> Probably care about soybeans. They want to make money. The competitors go for every investing platform, and we don't need to go through all of them. We've gone through them, but think about any app where you can use to buy stocks. Any app where you can use it, it's that's basically what they're competing against. I'm sure if you ask Effect, you'd be like, fine, but Comex is not the biggest part of our business. The biggest part is the commodities exchange. The biggest competitor actually is the status quo. I'm just breaking it up because it's very, very different to think about something that's a consumer-facing business versus something that's a farmer empowerment business. That's how I think about the, the competitors. Also, if you think about it more broadly, any agribusiness that's directly interfacing with farmers is a competitor. Because I don't yeah. know if you uh, remember, but Twigger, uh, Twigger Foods at some point, they started to create their own farms, develop their own farms. Because what happens is, if you're a processor and you don't trust the quality of the input from the farms, you start to create your own farms and go down the value chain. If an agribusiness is creating their own farms and doing all that at scale, they become an indirect competitor to Apex, even though Apex would say they're not because they're obfuscating the need for farmers by creating their own farming inputs. So I think I'll say those are the big categories categories of, yeah. of, of competitors. On the exchanges as well, this is interesting on the demand. There's for, no big one, right? Yeah, there's no big one. There's a couple of exchanges in Nigeria. There's a government exchange apparently that hasn't really NCX. taken off because of anything. It's not even a real the Abuja one. Is it in the US? Is, I don't know. Consumers don't really do commodities, right? It doesn't really have a consumer pool, even in, in developed markets. You find people do it as a part of no. a portfolio. Maybe Schwab picks it no, for no. you. The, 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 the way as people an ETF. do it here is you can get an ETF or an index, but but that's super broad. You wouldn't do maize. <laughs> It'd be so yeah. funny. You, you, you do a broad ETF of like an entire sector. Like where's the, the, the tank? Where's the tank? Where's the 10K for soybean? Like where's the 10K for soybean? Yeah. No, you, you, you do an you do an agri business ETF or or index. 
you do invest yeah. in crop. What's that about? So, so is it? Do they have an? I don't. I couldn't tell if they have an index you can buy, but I, I don't know what I would trust. Trust the index, but I'm not really doing investing. Oh That's yeah, they have. I looked at some videos on Comex. You, you, you can buy, yeah, exactly. They, they have some sort of basket of, of stuff you could buy. But the problem with all these things is I hate to be mean. I say in every affordability episode, it doesn't matter because as soon as you convert your dollars to now, you're screwed. Regardless of what you buy, now right now is 1225. At the beginning of the year, it was 800. So unless you've had whatever the math is, 50% increase, you've lost because the devaluation has lost your Naira because you're not investing through stable coins. You're investing directly through the Naira-denominated commodity. So sorry to be broken record, but it doesn't matter what you invest in because as long as it's a Naira, you're fighting against devaluation risk. You, the commodities have to increase so much to catch up for devaluation. I'm not talking about inflation. Inflation, I checked yesterday, is 23%. You find against 23% and you're, you're, you're losing. You think you're getting money, but you're, you're spending power is reducing and, and they're just bullshitting you. Anyway, so sorry to be the guy who tells the truth, but if you ignore inflation and ignore devaluation, yes, you're coming ahead, but those are two big things to ignore. It's almost like you're putting your head in the sand to ignore that. Mm. Okay, that's a competition. Anything else you want to add before I talk about exits? exits no, let's talk, about, exi- let's talk about exits. Let's talk about exits in the next five years. Okay, exits in the next f- five years. Don't... Yeah, so I'll go from least likely to most likely. Okay. Least likely IPO. They are definitely, to me, not at a stage where they're even ready for that. Maybe if things change drastically, but the next five years, I just, I just don't think so. They're finally moving away from warehouse, physical infrastructure, business, to they have the platform, they have the consumer-facing yeah. thing, people can trade, they have the relationship, but it's just too early. And in the next five years, I don't think it's going to happen. So that's the least likely. Second, I'll say average likelihood, acquisition by a strategic buyer. Depending on the business you're in, let's say large agribusinesses, mm-hmm. it could be an attractive company to purchase because they have relationships with farmers, they have relationships with sellers, because one of the mm-hmm. three business lines is literally to, to sell, they have a relationship with end consumers that enables them to invest through the consumer-facing ComEx app, which is now the Africa Exchange app. And they actually have warehousing operations, the store. They have a bunch of things which onesies, twosies make yeah. sense. They're in Nigeria. They're in East Africa as well. They're expanding to Francophone Africa. The execs have been there for a while. The CEO has been there since the start. They're well-funded. They're profitable, quote-unquote, depending on how you define profit. Yeah. Maybe it makes sense. I'm not sure. Because we don't know what the valuation was, how would they value it? For, for companies that are primarily owned by, I would say, strategic owners like Tony Lumalu and the foundation, sometimes the valuation ends up being crazy because those guys yeah. are like, well, we're already so rich. Why should we even cut a deal for you? So I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, doing some research, some companies that could be a fit. This is, again, the average likelihood scenario mm-hmm. is Cargill. I don't think that they will, but they're in a business where they're primarily focused on America and Europe. They don't have that much in Africa. They have been expanded in Africa, but not through acquisitions. I don't think so, but they're there. Yeah. A company called Bungie Limited, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. They just did a massive M&A deal a few months ago. They're mm-hmm. big into M&A. They're expanding in Africa. Louis Dreyfus Company, we spoke about them. Long history in Africa. They haven't done that many deals, but they're a commodities trading company as well. And then a few other companies. I'm not going to go down the list. Okay, so that's average likelihood. The most mm-hmm. likely outcome, I think, continued growth. They continue to do what they're doing, raise more rounds, yeah. and see how they can grow and extend, especially if they can do more geos, increase their profitability, find a way to actually leverage their operating assets so they can scale on them versus just continue to build them out. Yeah. That's the most likely outcome based on the progress they've made on the current investor interest. The CEO talks about, or in one, some of these, he talked about acquisition interest. Some of his notes, or he writes quite a bit. Like, oh, people oh, wanted he to wants buy to acquire or someone uh, to acquire. No, somebody wanted to acquire them. Like, they got offers at different times nice. to buy them out. Nice. Interesting, from one nice. of the buyers and stuff. So there's some appetite for something they have. Did he um, say the name? Did he no, say the name of the company? How can he say the name? Nah, that was the end. 
would never call him again. There's some appetite. There, it sounds like there's some appetite for some acquisition because they're building something that is valuable to somebody. But we'll see. I don't think any of yeah, that is likely to happen in the next five years, though. I agree. Same, you. same. It just they just have a good balance of they have actual physical assets. They own actual warehouse, logistics, yeah. vans, trucks. Plus, they have actual platforms that are actually used, not just on the consumer trading side, yeah. but an actual investment. So they have that and they have relationships. They're already buying and selling. The first business literally already buys and sells. That Hopefully, that part of business should be very profitable. Yeah. So it makes sense, but I, I just don't know. It seems like it would be expensive. All right. Yeah. Oof. That was a long cool. one. Close That's it. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, let me close it and then and go. My, okay. my, my summary is, okay. is pretty short, almost not even. I think first on, let me even start with FX and I'll talk about the industry stuff that last oh oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you please as part of your summary also give your thoughts on the question you raised at the start yeah remember you raised the question about institutional vcs and <clears throat> yeah. how fundable is it if you could yeah. talk about that i'll give my thoughts on that too first on apex is this is like a very interesting story of like i like the incubator model i do like the i do like that incubator model. i like the fact of adjacent innovation like somebody needs to build an exchange like tony limelo is a banker but like this is kind of similar i know some people have access to capital Let's do this. Let's do that. He's also done a lot of companies in the same way, invested a lot that he now runs, the hotels, Transcorp Hotels, bought more hotels, put on the same brand. Yes, Transcorp. I find the, yes. this like FX origin story an interesting model. And kudos to entrepreneurs like him that are using their social capital, not just, not just their money, but a social capital to seed businesses that solve problems. Mm. Because it's like, if mm. take any billionaire said, hey, I wanted to do something in this space, and I'll use my relationships to empower these people, to empower this business. Mm. Even if it, even if, even if it selfishly makes money for me, I think it solves a problem and there's a solution there. So I, I like that idea. And I wish more people with access kind of use their access to open doors. Because the reason he's able to do this is because he knows people. So but brings to the second point is a lot of, for this to work, all their business models, the amount of stakeholders you need to manage is even worse than payments, right? For sure. The SEC in Nigeria, yes. which is... Trigger happy regulator, go ask Bamboo and Chaka and then Tribe and Trove and rise, all of them, right? The, the Ministry of Agriculture, right? That's an ongoing engagement. All the people locally yes. who support farmers, state governments, local governments, yes, yes. strong states, weak states, weak centers. Yes. So this is yes. a... Even just reaching out to the farmers, because they're so fragmented and yeah. small, that's why they have outreach officers. You have to go and find them in the village. Yeah. Even just reaching the farmers itself, it's hard. at least for payments, most of the stakeholders you face tend to be more sophisticated or bigger tech-heavy because they're part of the, the, the value chain. But here, the farmers are, like, they may even tell you don't even bother. Even reaching the farmers is hard. Yeah, those are the, I think those are the kind of challenges that a company like Harris Holdings or entrepreneur like Tony or Jennifer Fraser, people who know people, basically, can help you open doors and say, talk to this person, talk to that person. Because if Shola Kinlade went to Bauchi to talk to farmers, he would be surprised. He would surprise what we hit him as a Babcock graduate or whatever. Now he's fine. Now he's, now he's connected. <laughs> I think the second, the second part on government integration participation is, is actually a big one. I do like the, the fact that there's social capital involved, but also government capital. Like, you know, Ministry of Agriculture is not coming to launch everything. Being able to do something like that mm. is super helpful. And the final point is digital and agriculture in terms of like how far can this like how venture backable is this right because it's essentially a physical business there's it's yes. it's very difficult to make it meaningfully asset light without either infrastructure asset light means doesn't mean it means somebody else is building it or somebody else has built the infrastructure right that's what it means it doesn't it just doesn't mean you build it or somebody else has built it 
And yes, U- Uber does not own that car. Best yeah. believe the driver who's miscalculating his yeah. costs. Yeah, is the one who's providing <laughs> infrastructure. It's an asset light to Uber, but, you know. Yes, Airbnb doesn't own the house, best belief. Because the banks have provided the financing for all the cars that Uber is using, right? So somebody's financing <laughs> right, right, those right, right. those assets. And in these markets, especially the places where they are, where the farmers are already poor, where there's not a lot of infrastructure where they're farming in the first place, there's no... It's a struggle to think about why is it venture-backable. I had a conversation with a friend, shout out Noor, actually, by the way. She was saying, like, she works in healthcare, and she was saying... She doesn't think healthcare is venture backable. I'm like, Obvious. I'm like, wow, that's harsh. She's like, yeah, health and agriculture are not venture backable. It just doesn't work. People who may have money can't pay. People who need it don't have money. Look at the specific things mm. for healthcare agriculture. It's like, it just doesn't. You need a lot of capital and a lot of personal discipline, and it's very difficult to, for it to be really, really uh, asset light. Like, what happens when you see companies here is that there, there's a free rider problem. Even when companies are successful. Mm or they are underestimating the right. risk and are going to blow up very soon. And you think about all the insurers or the people with innovative health insurance and stuff in like, yeah, 2020, 2021, and then many of them blew up and some are struggling or Oscar Health, ETC. And back to Apex. Wait, Oscar Health is struggling? That's my insurance company. Yo. Please tell me they're not struggling. <laughs> yeah, 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 Google what are you talking it. about? Google it, Google it. Google it. Let me go and delete it before they come and sue me. Before they come and send me email and say, it's Oscar Oscar Health is struggling. I'll delete Oscar Health. I don't know them. No, but for the venture backable companies, they require, they just require a lot of. The venture backable companies have a different profile. They are profitable, they can spend money to grow, they have a clear path for exit in, let's call it five to 10 years. Venture capital. Backward companies, they're profitable. Ah, no, 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 They have a, maybe I've been profitable. They have a path to be in profit. They tend to be technology and labels yes, scale, different. basically, right? Yes. So they, yes. they, they tend yes. to have good unit economics, which is what, what I meant when I said profitable, mm-hmm. which is, hey, we can take a dollar and sell it for a dollar ten. However, to grow, we can, we are going to spend, we're going to spend a dollar fifty to make a dollar. Knowing that those $40 costs are going to be, allow us to scale. And when you look at yeah, this eventually. business, it's like, I don't know. If you want to double the business, don't you need to double the warehouses? Like, how do you double this business without double the warehouses, right? How do you double this business, any of these ag businesses, without doubling the field officers? And if you double them, does it scale linearly? Like, that, some things don't scale linearly at all. It, it probably increases 5x, 10x in complexity and cost. It doesn't double the cost. Like, doubling the warehouses may not double the cost. It may triple or quadruple them. When you think about the characteristics and features of the business, the uncertainty here and the risk you're taking that are not priced, you're, not, you're taking all the regular risks that VC takes and you're taking climate risk. You're taking a bunch of other risks, financing risk. The second thing here is the agricultural products are also very region specific. Like because you make something, so let's say I did FX in uh, warehouses in Abeokuta. It says nothing that you're in Gumb- working Gombe. The crops are different, the warehouses are okay. different, the climate is different, right? It's like interesting. Although, although, although it depends. Let's pick Amazon fulfillment centers. They store all sorts of different things, and the design is not that different. Maybe it depends on the way they're initially designed. If you yeah. design it for flexibility, it could be. But I, I don't know enough about the details. Yeah. But, but I know for sure Amazon design is is very very similar across yeah. all the FCs. But 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 Amazon FCs don't touch perishables, right? Not, <laughs> right? Not all foods have to be. Temperature controlled, right? The quality control is going to be sure, different sure. for different crops, right? The relationships mm-hmm. you have to have in a country or state are going to be different. That you make it work in Nigeria, right. there's nothing that you can make work in Kenya. And if you look at, they make work in Europe, doesn't mean you can make work in a quiet bomb. This is this is my homework. 
because Amazon groceries are getting bigger and bigger, and they deliver. Some of the FCs do have a. I will check to no, see. No, they, they have grocery FCs. The grocery. They have grocery FCs. They have grocery FCs. Yeah, yeah, but are those? But are those, The question is then what you're saying. Are those fungible enough to be used the design across the country, or are the grocery FCs so different? That's so, my homework. So I'll research no, when we're done. I want to even go down this rabbit hole because it's, it's important. It's point you raise. So Amazon has, let's call it for the purpose of the argument, two kinds of FCs: perishable and non-perishable. Mm. Are you confident yes. that there are only two kinds of FCs for all the range of things, that, <laughs> all the range of, of crops that they, they, offer, they offer? Anytime someone says, are you confident? My answer yeah. is always, It's know, like It's like, I don't know anything about soya, sorghum, FCs. maize. I don't, like, I don't know about <laughs> Which one is temperature controlled? Do they have the same temperature? Can they be kept with each other? Do they need yeah. to be dry, yeah. no moisture at all? Yeah. Like they need to be yes, like yes, yes, something yes. pulling air out of the yes. place, putting moisture. I, I feel like crops are very different by the way we're saying this as a quick side-handed thing this may be the reason why the grocery part of the amazon business faced so many challenges yeah they've they've changed their pricing so no many, many times. times it was a separate cost it was part of prime free yeah. shipping they added shipping they added yeah. tax they bought whole foods whole foods had a different pricing for yeah. also shipping groceries yeah. because it's so complicated Dude. and that's even in a developed country with amazing employees not to mention something different we do it as a quick yeah. side thing but it's difficult the, so. other, the other thing about the oppression nature of this, I'll give you an example about the uncertainty of stuff you're dealing with with agriculture because it's fundamentally a physical business. The CEO has a story where right, police is. came to the warehouse and took oh. all the supplies in the warehouse and Jesus just went Christ. to the market in okay. three days and sold it. And that was 2019 <laughs> and no answer. You know, that's so funny. The, ministry so of, the Minister that's of Agriculture got involved. I'll post a link to this in your notes. And they just took the, this, this thing. They said They called him. They said... The police is here. It's like, for what? It's like, oh, people are breaking into the warehouse. It's like, okay, we have insurance. And he gets there. It's like, no, it's the police that came here. Take it. And he calls the police. And the police is like, yes, I'm confused. What? No crime, no conversation. He found that they sold, they sold the thing. It's a five million naira worth of goods, of maize. Wow. And it's all gone. And I'm like... You know, this is... Yo, this is a very, very technical question. That's not software, bro. insurance contract... Is there allowance for police officers? <laughs> because if I'm the insurance provider, best believe I'm not paying out. Dude, that's not that's not a crime now. That's negligence. <laughs> they, they said, they said oh, four years hilarious. after they haven't gotten it, the Minister of uh, Agriculture got involved. Wow. Nothing. But if you look at wow. that kind of business and you're telling me, oh, but we build nice tech, bro, like you just need boots on the ground. I, hmm. I, by the way, I'm, I'm making a distinction. I'm not saying this is a bad business. I'm saying it, venture capital yeah. is not may not be the right model for this for kind sure. of patience. Sure. If you can lose your 100 million naira of, of stuff in a while. And that's that's true for Jumia or Conga. Right. Same had a similar story where they locked their warehouse for five days because the landlord of the place they were renting was mm -hmm. owing somebody else and they came and locked it, <laughs> right? And they couldn't fulfill any orders for, for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or whatever. Right? Shout out to Conga. Is that, a, is that an asset-like business? Is that a venture-backable business? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, but, but, but if we take a very, very broad view, the good thing is there are a lot of non-institutional VC companies with money anyway. So even if, if we just take everything you said as being 100% correct, there are a lot of DFIs, government institutions, development finance institutions, and they have billions. Even if we say everything you said is correct, it's still fine. It just means the likelihood of getting institutional VCs will be low. It doesn't yeah. mean the business won't raise any exactly. money. Exactly. Or the business won't even be successful. It's just a different profile. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly. It's almost like it's almost that like if you know that then should you even be chasing that mm. or is the lack of the VC stuff we talked about in the beginning was a bit of a tell by design which is mm. even mm. if you could get a VC interested in this we know they will mm. be happy in unhappy in the end because the numbers will be looking mm. like so profitable mm -hmm. January profitable March February warehouse got robbed we lost yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Like those those profiles <laughs> don't work with that right? Is, and, and if I could like look growth at this, is slowing the... growth is slowing is 19% mm -hmm. month on month growth is slowing 
Yes, yes, yes. And in fact, if you look at the current investors, it, it, it supports your points because apart from consonants, almost all of them are development or impact or yeah. DFI. Your point seems to be borne out by the current investor base. Yeah. Anyways, back to just to summarize the summary is FX is a great story of, of connected people, rich people using their social capital to build businesses. I think there's room for more of that. I don't want to call it an incubator type stuff, but I think it's more opportunistic. And when you can be opportunistic, it's important to 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 apply that somewhere. Especially with on the partner, especially on problems that require a lot of partnership with the government. Like three guys in a garage could not have gone to the SEC, gone to Ministry of Agriculture, just not. dead on arrival. Um, the other about VCs, institutional VCs and agriculture companies. I think there's a there might be a narrow sliver where VCs work in agriculture. I'm curious to hear what our listeners think if you listen this far. But definitely, I'm overwhelming. I've been thinking about this since it's like for agriculture and health, you're just in a position where you need a different return profile. Or, or even if it's a mm. VC, you expect a different return profile that may not be justified by your mm. LPs who are invested in venture capital, right? So it's, Definitely not. So, so that's not, like a, not hearing that shit. Yeah, LPs give me money to stuff. make money, not, yeah. not to be doing doing that shit. What's their business with helping? Give me money. I give you money. I want more money. Simple. Yeah. It's funny that this is one of the few times on Afferability, even after so many episodes, that direct government intervention was so helpful. So shout out to... Governor Adishina at the time. He was yeah. the ministry of, it was the minister yeah. of agriculture. And he, I won't say single-handedly, but he was one of the primary driving forces behind the Nigerian founding of AFEX. Not yeah. the East African one, they already did that. Shout out, it's very rare that a government official will just do something and nudge this foundation of a company. Sometimes they help with providing capital when it started. That, this yeah. is different. This, he nudged them to start it. So shout out to former former minister of agriculture, Adishina. Yeah. Okay. So you want me to start? Just yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. That was it. Okay, I just I just want to quickly give him a shout out because he's not part of my my conclusion. Okay, so I have three uh, sections in my summary. First one is for the farmers, the bear case for the company, and then the bull case. The mm-hmm. farmers. This one is short, simple, sweet. I'm just glad, regardless of what happens, there are a lot of companies. This is, this is in our first agri company. Yeah. It's not even our second or third. It's probably seventh or eighth. I just like the fact that even though the business models are difficult, the entrepreneurs and the investors seem to be nudging companies along to do something. Because farmers, man, they are, a lot of African consumers are low income, but farmers are not doing so hot. When I watch some of the videos, it's just yeah. tough. It's almost that it's hard to even call them entrepreneurs. They're basically doing it just to eat and just mm-hmm. to get by. They're barely getting by. Shout out to all the companies that are doing things to empower them, more training, better seeds, better fertilizers, access to output, storage, all that stuff. I hope I hope things get better faster because it's tough out there to be a farmer. Also, I didn't realize this, but the farming isn't as distributed as I thought. I thought the farmers were distributed across Nigeria, but actually for some types of yeah. crops, it's very, very focused on the north. For some types of crops, it's south. The distribution is there, but yeah. actually most of the farmers in Nigeria in the north, and if you divide it by crops, then there's some distribution. Yeah. I learned a lot during the episode. Something there. to add is that is true in theory, where crops should mm. be grown and where crops mm. are actually grown for political reasons, preach, which is interesting. Preach, there's all other kettle preach, of fish you don't want to get into. Oh my God, that's, a, oh my, that's a, another two hours. Okay, so that's the farmer side. Negative bear case. Man, it's long. It's it's a lot of bullets, but let's blow through it. Nigerian macro. This affects every Nigerian business. They will tell you they're also in East Africa. Don't believe it. They just launched in Kenya and Uganda in 2020. This is a Nigerian business, Nigerian founders, Nigerian executive team. Nigerian macro affects all companies, so we'll keep this one short. It's not idiosyncratic to them. It's every company. Second thing is regulation. Big issue. Luckily for them, they seem to have good government relationships. I'll say this one is not so 
not so important, but I will put it as a problem that would, could adversely affect them because it's not just that it affects them, it could affect their partners, which then affects them. Second thing is time. Based on the nature of harvests and the slow moving nature of humans to make changes, like the farmers, it's just, it could just take a really, really long time to see any form of impact. Um, hopefully I'm wrong, but the time dependency mm -hmm. on harvests and farmers could slow down the entire business. It just means it's harder to see doubling, tripling, quadrupling of the business because of that. If you look at FT, FT will tell you the, the other, <laughs> the FT data seems to say the opposite. I don't believe that for one. I'm just, I'm trying to understand how can a business that primarily gets its money in the way they do make money that grows so quickly when the harvest cycle is so low? I, I don't know. I guess that's because they do more than buy and sell. They also do other stuff. Okay, well, I mean, whatever. Maybe they're Second bringing more, more stock into the warehouse, right? Let me, maybe, let me maybe. Maybe, maybe. The development of warehouses would still slow that down. But I guess that's what, they raised the 26 million primarily to do more of that. Okay, second thing is fundraising. Since they're typical, since they're not a typical private startup, they may start to face challenges eventually raising money from targeting a smaller subset of firms. I put smaller, but it's questionable. I guess we need to do some more data. Like if you add up every non-financial institutional VC focus on Africa, is that more or less than the DFIs plus impact, whatever. It's hard to know because some impact investors don't call themselves impact investors. Yeah. But anyway, all, all, all that matters is the pool of available capital to them is lower because they're only focused on, they should only be focused on the impact ones. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, the biggest one in all capital letters, infra cost expansion, faster than revenue growth. Like the fact they boldly announced they're gonna be building more warehouses and the fact they have so many operational costs could be a challenge for them. Right now, if you look, if you believe the EBITDA stuff, they're working, it's fine. But I just, I find it challenging to do the revenue profile of the company where you always need more warehouses, more logistics, more trucks, more vans. And what does that mean for the long-term potential of the company? Because normally capital efficiency means you invest in some capital mm -hmm. and then you can make money off that capital and you don't need to spend that much on, on the initial investment. But this is the opposite of that. Let's pick a very, very typical software business. Let's say you are, who should we pick? Not Apple, Apple's weird. Okay, let's just do Google. When you invest in the data centers, you continue to make money and you don't need to invest in data centers up until later. But this is almost one-to-one, -one, uh, which is why I guess they're, they're an operational company. Fine, mm -hmm. okay. What else, God? Time, regulation, Nigeria, macro, fundraising, infra. It's a lot. Partnership dependency, I won't go through the details. Massive yeah. risk, especially because some of the partners have way more power than others. Not the farmers. Farmers have no power. But depending on how the partnerships are set up, especially with the processor companies, because the processor companies tend to mm -hmm. be way bigger than the farmers in Nigeria. There's some imbalance of power there. Anyway, I'll stop. You get the case. A lot of negative things. Let's be yeah. positive. Positive bull case. No, before you get on the finish on the beer case, let me add one more you mm. didn't have that could be big. is like oh, climate, Lord. climate change. Um, uh, yes. You build a $10 million yes, yes. processing plant, soybean processing plants in Ibadan, and then the soybean has a, grown away. You are basically using the soybean <laughs> to be doing AC for the plant manager's office. You know, like those are the kind of, that's the business. Like, the, so people who work in agriculture are like, of course, that's the business. Like, it's like, oh, you have a bad harvest. Like, mm -hmm. that's the business. Like, you could be a striker mm -hmm. who takes penalties for Chelsea Football Club, like all the useless strikers. <laughs> I woke up at five a.m. to watch Chelsea this morning. I am so mad. Anyways, oh. it could be, it could be, you could be like that's the job. The job is to put the ball in the back of the net, which Chelsea strikers yes. do not have any skill set to do. <laughs> but the job of somebody who is working in agriculture is to deal with the vagaries of like good harvest, bad harvest. Like that's just the nature of the business, and at scale, yes. that could really hurt you. And yes, that could, but luckily you can get insurance to provide to cover a lot. No, of no, but you, you're, you're, you're. That's if you're a farmer. But because you're using smallholder farmers 
And if that's a bunch of your supply, Adamu, Michael, Bankoli, James, like I'm not keeping track of what the harvest cycle is for this half. I'm <laughs> doing what I planned last year and what my father told me is right. how you plant soybean or whatever, right? And when he changes mm. that we don't have a bad harvest, we all don't have bad harvest. You try to tell me beforehand, would I believe you or believe my grandfather was in family here for three generations? My business with you. The, 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 risk, the risks of climate change tend to be negatively correlated basically with their business is what I was trying to point out. Like the, it's very difficult to mitigate on that side. If you're a farmer or a big farmer, you can be much more resilient because you're much more, compu- much more precision type farming. Mm. Um, that's it at risk. And I think it's, mm. it's non-zero, especially in many parts of like droughts. You see droughts a lot, stuff like yes. that. Yes, yes. But your point is still covered by a lot of different types of insurance, no? You can get insurance against a lot of these things, right? Who's going to insure it? Like, have you, like, there's no insurance. Who's going to insure it? Who's going to insure it? I mean, no, what is insurance you, you mean contract? the price you pay, you mean the price you pay will be too high. There's always someone, I there's mean, always counterparty if you pay enough. I mean, I'm, I'm in the world That's of, insurance I'm, now. I'm, I'm, That's I'm, the game. That's I'm, the game. I'm trying to be in the world of reason here, not in the world of pie wow. in the sky. If, you, if you're so going to buy, rude. I'm not rude, but if See you're going to buy, rude. okay, if you're going to, I'm sorry you feel that way. If you're going to buy insurance, mm. right? Like, mm-hmm. for example, I live in the Pacific Northwest, like, or in parts of California. You, you can buy earthquake insurance, but do you want to also eat? Yes. It would be very expensive. Do you, do you want it to would eat? Be very expensive. <laughs> do you want to eat? And like, is it reasonable as a as a business as a smallholder farmer to buy earthquake? What as a, to buy climate change insurance? No, it's it's pooled now. It's pooled. They will do a pooled one for all the partners on their behalf. When you aggregate it, insurance costs are lower when you have a big enough pool. So they buy. Anyway, we're getting into. It's, I'm just telling you. It's, you're it underestimating. Be, if you do a, it will if be you do correlated. A insurance for all the. Because they have 450,000 or was it no. Whatever, they have some high number. No, think about a crop and a region, right? Think about a crop mm. and a region, right? So let's say, let's assume soybean is growing in one part of the country and then they have a bunch yes. of farmers who grow that crop in that part of the country. These farmers yes. have all the same risk. Why would anybody... Oh, no, no, of course, but, but they have multiple crops now. So yeah. they're, they're hedged because of that. I, I we give the list before. They have at least nine major crops. Yeah, so if you would be right if they only had one crop. It doesn't have to be... But, what will kill the business? If you lose twenty percent of your revenue, it is it's a bad thing, right? And if it happens across two if or three, you, if you lost twenty percent of your salary, it would also be bad. Affordability is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, anyways, but but the whole point is the climate is changing. I don't know that there's a mechanism that allows them to adapt or be resilient to it, given the nature of their business with smallholder farmers. Um, it, it's 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 pooled insurance, but it will be expensive. But your point is valid. Okay. Bull case, unless you had another negative. We've done too many of them. I'm even... Anything else on the... Okay, okay. So that was a bear case. The bull case is... They are actually a unique combination of... They have physical warehouse facilities. They have a tech platform that's for consumers. They have a general tech platform that lubricates the entire ecosystem from buyers and traders and farmers. They were the first exchange. They do have good relationships with the government. They have an executive team that's been there for almost a decade. Deji from country head to MD to CEO yeah. from MD. He's been there. He seems to like the business. A lot of the executives, I saw was the CFO CEO had been there. I saw an interview even in 2016 was the yeah. same person. They have a stable team. They're well funded. Yeah. And the kinds of people that are funding them tend to have a lot of money for a long time. So it, it, yeah. it, it seems Expert fine. ownership um, structure too. Like the people are very yeah, involved. It, yeah. Yeah, can they just hold on long enough to sell to some agribusiness who will just like take it as like some part of the broader business? I don't know. There's something there. Every time I see a leadership team that's been there for a long time and I see companies that are capital efficient, it gives them more shots at goal. Will that be enough to cover 
all the downside risk. I don't know, yeah. but I, it's a potentially interesting business. I do think for even for all the risks and everything in the beer case, you get a sense of because of the nature of their business and how much they've raised and where their investors are, you get a sense that they will survive though. So it ends up being like a long-term yes. bet. Like, it doesn't make sense. It yes. doesn't be like a short-term great bet, like it, but like in 15, 20 years, you'll be glad you invested now type stuff. Um, right. And they're not losing money. If the EBITDA yeah. is 7 to 8%, that's yeah. also solid. At least based on what they told us and based yeah. on, even though the top line, the top line number I think is misreported, there's some growth happening there and there's some profitability yeah. happening there somewhere. Yeah. So, so if you look at those risks, if you look at those, even if you look at the bear case, you just be like, look, all those things are all bad things. But every bad thing can happen to anybody anytime, you know? Yes, so. yes, yes. And also the timing, the 26.5 million just happened last month. So it's not yeah. some companies, they haven't raised in so long. You're like, oh, like how much of that have you spent versus what you initially had? They should have more. And they, <laughs> they, should they, have basically, the they basically have a million $2 million dollar burn rate if you... Yes. If you judge by the, by the difference between gross and EBITDA, it's a $2 million bond rate, right? They're pulling up, the factories, everything. And it is $26 million, so they're good for 13 years, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, if they don't increase their costs, uh, they increase pay more salaries. More salary. uh, every, oh. Okay, most, okay, 13, 13 becomes 10 years. Okay, fine. Like, <laughs> I hate her. Uh, Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. so overall, solid business, a lot of challenges, but fundamentally, I'm happy that they're solving an important problem yeah. for Africans and for Nigerians. And farmers need a lot more wins. It's hard to yeah. be undereducated, poor, and barely surviving, and they're just in a tough position. I hope yeah. more companies can do more for farmers and help the whole value chain. Because yeah. a lot of people talk about food security, food security. Yes, that's a problem, but the bigger problem is like the farmers. Where's the food security coming yeah. from? Isn't it from the farmers? They say food security like it's on technical terms, something like, how do we help the farmers to help the rest of us? So yeah. off my soapbox, but I, I'm just I'm just partial to these industries because I know how hard they are. Like doing a payments network and a wallet, it's good, it's growing, but it's somehow divorced from the reality of people struggling to survive. And being a farmer in Kaduna and Sokoto, like doing sorghum, which is just a really jacked up place to be. Anything that can help them helps the rest of us. So yeah. I, I hope I hope they do something for them. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I think it's okay. easy to be it's 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 a tough business up a business environment for them. And if they succeed, like good things happen. I like also like the idea yes. of of finance as a primary discipline, just taking capital from I don't know. People who are playing with money and trying to invest in soybean, pop, pop, pop. and someone yes, taking that money yes. and deploying it in a way that makes farmers' lives better, basically creating a bunch of institutional yes. capital that directly or indirectly, because they're trading on the on the, on the line, that still that creates some wealth transfer from the haves to the ha- to the have less at least. Um, so it's attractive to me. I always feel like I don't even care. Like it's like it's like it's like one of those things. Like whether trading win or lose, win lose or draw, that's fine, whatever. But it's the is the fact that all of that trading is leading to some wealth creation that affects farmers directly. Tempting. Well said, well said. Cool. Okay, recommendations, small ones. You want to go with me to take it? I can go. I have two, actually. One, I found this website called fivebooks.com. Basically, oh. like, they ask smart people in the area to recommend five books in their area or five books. Just ask different people to recommend five books. Like, what five books in neuroscience do you believe everybody should read or whatever? And I just got a ton of recommendations this past, when I found the website, so I'll share the website. It was, it was just good. Like, oh, I didn't think about this book as, for example, I've been meaning to get into science fiction as a thing. And it's like, oh, I mm. want some recommendations from like Neil Stephenson about like books that talk about planetary resettlement, like fiction about planetary resettlement, sci-fi type stuff. And they just find okay, the right that's people. That's the, the, the snow crash guy. Yeah. They find, they find people talk about okay. stuff like that. So it's pretty good. 
So is, is it divided by discipline or by... So when you go on the page, you'll be like, neuroscientists, yeah. this is what they recommend. They have, they're like literary, this is what they fiction, non-fiction, and they have like, okay, they have okay. like who, who recommended wow. it and all that stuff. It's so good. Mathematics, science, stuff like that. I like it. Second thing, my second recommendation is the Jeff Bezos episode on Lex Friedman podcast. I saw that. I haven't seen it yet. It, I, I, it, it got recommended to me, but I haven't watched it. I just saw how it long good. it was. I was like, I need to sit down and watch yeah, it. But it looked good. It was really good. It was really... It's curious to see about space. I think the, about space, he made some points about, oh, truth-seeking and truth-seeking mm. versus selling in, in, in leadership communication. I'm like, yeah, easy for you to see. You're the CEO. You're, you, of course, you're truth-seeking, but everybody's coming to you is trying to sell something. The other point is also seeing how people change as they get older and they don't realize it because... And then it makes you self-reflect because you're thinking, I don't know, the people who work with, because I also work at Amazon, people who work with Jeff, I don't know, 15 years ago would not be like, ha, 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 everything is funny. And like, this is just how I think about stuff. This is when they were getting yelled at and being called stupid. And, and they, were, they were crying under the table. Under the table, right? And it's like, now it's like all kumbaya and like philanthropists mm. and space. I find it mm. interesting, but it was a good, it's a good way to understand the man a little bit. I, I got some good understanding. Those are my two recommendations. I can't wait. Thank you for those recommendations. They sound great. Because I read the two Amazon books. What's it called? Amazon Unbound and yeah. the Everything Store. Yeah. The other way around. The Everything Store is the first one. And then Amazon Unbound. And they were really good. And I read them back to back. I only read them last year. So I would definitely, I'll, I will listen to the the podcast. The visuals, I don't need to watch it on YouTube. It's just both of them looking at each yeah. other. Like, yeah, this is buff, yeah. buff as fuck. I'm good with yeah. that. Yeah. I know what he looks like. But I'm going to listen to it. Okay. I have three recommendations. I, I went back, I was reading a lot of books and I just felt, I wanted to go back to my classic books that I know I like because I was disappointed by yeah. some of the new books I read. I read three books that I've read. One of them I've read like four times. I'll just recommend three of them. How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, Harry Brown. Incredible. I yeah. think this is the fourth or fifth time. It just keeps getting better and better and better and better. Love the book, read it again. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. I've recommended this, yeah. you've recommended this. I love it's this. good. I'm really short. The audiobook, maybe four hours, five hours. It's like two hour ability episodes. You can listen yeah. easily. A Guide to the Good Life, The Ancient Arc of Stoic Joy by William uh, B. Uh, Irvine. Great book. This I've read. It's funny because I read the ebook the first time, then the audiobook the second time. It's, it's nice because it's not just about stoicism. It's about mental approaches to handle life better and mm -hmm. patience and resilience. There's a bunch of stoic for thinking that it's a little bit about minimalism and resilience and perseverance. So I, I really, really like philosophy. And the book is good because it's not just about Stoic philosophy, it's about the history yeah. of Stoicism initially, the philosophy, how you can use it in today because now everything is different. And then the end is how you can manage that with the rest of uh, beliefs and things you're doing. Because a lot of times I read books and they're like, oh yeah, implement XYZ. I'm like, yeah, I would implement it, but I'm already doing AB. It's better to say implement XYZ in the context of what you're already doing. If you take it out of context, 24 hours in a day, eight hours yeah. of sleep, I can only do so many things. So I need to know if it's going to be displacing or augmenting something else. A lot of books, they, they, they give a lot of ideas which are good independently if I was starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. But at this stage of my life, I'm already advanced. I need things to fit into a system. I can't yeah. start from scratch. I'm way beyond that. Anyway, three recommendations, books I've already read. I really love them. And they're all similar in a way. Like They sound different, but they're all about ways of thinking, ways of adapting to life, patience, not getting stressed out, and trying to balance all the different demands of life. All the books are sort of about that indirectly. Interesting. I'll look them up. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Up. Small wins and then we wrap up. My small one. win was, it's running with music. This is like a strange thing. My current favorite running song. 
It's an okay song, generally. It's this Big Seven by Bernard Boy. I don't know if I've recommended it before. I might have. If I haven't. Big Seven. Big Seven. You've got to listen to it. That song just gives me, like, really good vibes. Like, I, I, I listened to I listened to music before we started mm-hmm. recording the podcast, some behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. I listened to song today, and what it For made like me... For, like, 10 minutes. It made me... Yeah, you can be bitter all you want. I just need to get in the zone. <laughs> it's, I need to get in the zone before I do comedy. <laughs> I just get in the zone before I do comedy for like, for two hours. No, but that song just gets me like super like feeling good. It's like my feel good music. I hear that. And now oh, I, that song has been out for a couple of months, but I've been running that song for a couple of months. Now when I hear that song, the only thing I want to do is run. Like it's crazy. Like now I just like, I heard that song before the podcast and I was looking out the window being like, I hope it still like looks like this when I'm done with this because I'm going to go for a run. Like I just wow. got to go run. And it's like, I, I find that response let's see how long it lasts it won't last that long but I find the response just beautiful I listen to that song and I'm just like where are my shoes you know it's it's almost Yo. three degrees Celsius in Seattle now I'm gonna be out there running I don't care if, if I can't remember anymore but there's a psychological term for this like Pavlov's dog yeah Pavlovian it's a Pavlovian the response bell with poo. Yeah. thank you that's, that's it exactly exactly and yeah. then also the new term is habit stacking. You have a habit you already do. Another yeah. habit you don't like as much, you stack them. But it's the same. Yeah, there's a whole psychological thesis around this. That's so, yeah. Now, Big That's Seven dope. by Burnout Boy is basically like, put on your shoes <laughs> and run. Song. Like, <laughs> it's basically <laughs> for no reason. I'm just like, and I like the feeling. It just makes me feel good. And I don't even feel like I'm like, I have to run. It just feels good when I run. And it feels good when I listen to this music and run. Come on. Let's do it. Hmm. How does that fit into, you You said a few months ago you are doing a combination of weightlifting and cardio running. Yeah. So how's that? How's the ratio switching? How much it's, weightlifting? It's, it's pretty interesting. I, I don't do weightlifting. Weightlifting is a bit much. I do. Yeah, resistance training. You know what I mean? Yeah, resistance training. I know. Yeah, yeah. Or a, 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 anaerobic. Yeah. yeah. Dumbbells and stuff. I, I try to do that yes, maybe yes, yes. two, three days a week. And then I okay. do basketball at least once a week, once or twice a week. Okay, if you're not injured. Yeah. <laughs> the youngest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Don't then, do you know, on Thursday, somebody bust my lip open too. Like, I'm an old man. Ooh. Then bust my lip open. I was like, hey, man, you all right? Like, what do you think? Can you not see my face bleeding? What do you think? It's all good. <laughs> but of course, I didn't say that. I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Sorry. I'm good. Come on. I'm good. You I didn't cross about it. I didn't like, I won't see me. I won't yell with it. I was still speaking oh, English. Yeah, I was like, shout out to you, about Yeah, so I play basketball once or twice <laughs> a week, funny. mostly once, mm-hmm. once a week, and mm-hmm. I run once or twice a week as well. But my majority of my workouts tend to be much more strength because it's easy. I can just do thirty minutes, have a dumbbell routine. I do it's quick, it's easy. Thirty forty minutes running. I got to change basketball. I got to change. Not mm-hmm. a bar. I got well, go to go somewhere to do it for dumbbells. Now we what? No, no. You have I have to change for that too. I, I usually have to go somewhere to do it. I have dumbbells at home. Right. So basketball, ah, I have to change okay, and go outside. Change. Go somewhere versus change. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Sorry, I need to Got dress it. up. Sorry, maybe not. <laughs> of course, I need to change, but I need to dress up. Um, so with basketball and that, what you do only strength workouts, right? Like weights and stuff, right? No, I do. I do everything. I'm overall workouts basically every day, but it's like 60% weightlifting and then 40% cardio. But I just take a lot of classes. Zumba yeah. class, yoga class, stretching class, mobility class, biking class. All yeah. the classes, all the classes combined are the cardio because the classes yeah. tend to be, it tends to be very, very organized. It's mm-hmm. easier to do cardio that way. It's like f- yeah. full body workouts. Nice. Okay. Okay. Small win. Okay. My small win. Yes. Hiking with some new friends in St. Thomas. I was in St. Thomas hiking. Yeah. Who it are you, man? So, so, so. <laughs> it's, it's fun because he... He had like all trails. It was so bizarre the way he found like yeah, this is a whole apps. Yeah. system. 
He had all trails. I'm like, do we need St. Thomas? He said, no, he has all trails pro, which came with an offline map. He found it while we were there. Boom, boom, boom. We got there. And it was so detailed. Like we're walking and it says, oh, make sure you don't make a left because they tagged on the all trails pad. The left mm -hmm. is very like jacked up for your sneakers. Yeah. I haven't been as exposed to it, but I was surprised by the level of sophistication and detail and user UGC, user added information to the, yeah. it was actually a whole thing. So it was impressive. We chatted, we walked, bonding with some new friends. It was nice. St. Thomas is beautiful and it was a cool hike. I was just so surprised by how you can literally go anywhere in the world, not even speak the language. In this case, we do obviously to, to Caribbean yeah. island to speak English, but you go anywhere, open an app, get the offline and hike anywhere. You just, just be like, I was like, oh wow, what a cool experience to have with people. I enjoyed yeah. it. All Trolls is a fantastic app. I don't hike, I have colleagues that do. We keep doing team events or hiking, but it's all good. Um, <laughs> Yes, let's wrap it. So cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at afrobility.com. Thanks.